0: You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show.
1: The view from our side of the cockpit door.
2: WAPG, it's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy, episode 589. Yeah, he's up in the sky. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door with your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG headquarters in Roswell, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 11th of October, 2023. episode, two freighters in the news, a DHL 767 sustained substantial damage from a hard landing in Beirut, and a FedEx 757 lands gear up in Chattanooga going off the end of the runway. Also more news and your feedback, so get all settled in, tray tables and seatbacks in the upright and locked positions, electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger, and Flight 589 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio
3: Roger. He's an award winning TV and radio reporter, currently at the number one all news station in the nation. 1010 wins on 923 FM in New York City. Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and answering your great feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, a pilot at a major legacy airline based in Atlanta, Georgia. And joining us today, from his studio.
4: In Hartford, Hereford, and
2: Hampshire.
3: Professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, retired Airbus A330, A340, captain for Virgin Atlantic Airways, it's Captain Nick.
5: Hi there, Jeff. Uh, great to be back on the show. Uh, and from Blighty, as usual, nothing special from here, so let's crack
3: on. Let's crack on then. All right, let's see. Who else do we have here? From his home studio in the air capital, low and slow pilot, a and mechanic, old airplane enthusiast, and engineer in the aerospace and defense industry, it's Nick Camacho. Hey, Captain Jeff. Group. Glad to be back. Great to have you back. And also joining us from her studio in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, retired financier and aviation enthusiast, spreadsheet master, and our producer, it's the lovely Liz Piper.
4: Hello, everybody. Having a few technical issues here today, but whatever, we carry on.
3: Ah, We can still hear your lovely voice, Liz. And uh, so we're just going to just push forward and Work through all these technical
4: issues. Have a good show, guys.
3: Thanks, Liz. Thanks, Liz. Bye. All right. Um, Let's go ahead and start off with some aviation news. Stand by
2: for news.
3: All right. Let's start with this uh, final report on an accident that occurred in uh, 2022, November 18th, uh, Latam Chile A20N, uh, A20N. It was an A320, right? Um, and uh, as I said, the um, CIAA of Peru released their final report in Spanish only, and we're going to uh, we're going to not use Simon's rant. Uh, <laughs> it's the standard rant that it wasn't published in English as it should be. Uh the report concludes that the probable co- so you'll remember um there was a a, a LAN or LATAM Chile A320 clear for takeoff there was an exercise going on and uh, the uh, for the, from the um uh airport rescue firefighting uh people and, uh, they ended up actually being cleared to do their exercise, but, uh, what was not supposed to happen was that they were supposed, they weren't supposed to go on the runway. They did go on the runway while this 320 was taking off. And, uh, the, I think the, uh, 320s, um, was it the right wing, I think hit, basically chopped off, sliced off the top part of one of the, um, ARFF vehicles, killing two of the firefighters. And so, um, as I said, the uh, final report was just released, uh, concludes that the probable causes of the accident were during the LATAM aircraft being in its takeoff run, a Lima airport rescue vehicle entered the runway without clearance by the control tower while in a response time exercise from the new fire station and collided with the aircraft. The chain of events was caused by a lack of joint planning, poor coordination, and non use of ICAO standard communication and phraseology. Other contributing factors were a failure to hold a brief briefing meeting between airport and civil aviation authority after the first response time exercise to determine errors, deficiencies, discrepancies, missing materials, and procedural shortcomings in the development of the exercise in order to arrange improvements for an optimal execution of the second response time exercise. The Civil Aviation Authority's acceptance of the proposal by the airport to carry the response time exercise out from partially implemented facilities that had not officially been handed over to control by the Civil Aviation Authority. Uh, No meetings were held to assess hazards, manage risks, mitigation actions, failure to hold a joint meeting. Okay, so you can see there was a lot of um, not great communication going on here, not a lot of great planning uh, it was kind of a last-minute thing. A couple of hours before the exercise kicked off, uh, the tower folks at the time were notified. Uh, they weren't given clear instructions as to where the uh, firefighting vehicles were going to go, and of course, the firefighting vehicles um, thought that uh, they were going to have clearance onto the runway. There were some cones set aside that they moved out of the way, etc. So it's a lot of a lot of details here, and. The Airbus was clear for takeoff, accelerating 1.6. They rejected takeoff at high speed. I guess when they saw that the uh, vehicles were on the runway, they weren't able to avoid contact with fire truck number three, although the truck tried to turn around, turning right into the direction of the aircraft. Wrong way to turn, I guess. Anyway, it was a tragedy. And um, basically, that was their finding, uh, that uh, it was just poorly planned and executed. Anything else to add there?
5: Well, only in that uh, they've moved to a new facility. So I guess the the drivers of the fire trucks were, you know, experimenting with you know a new route to get to where an incident might occur. They had a lot of pressure to make do that in quick time because this was an exercise to establish the fact that they could get to an incident uh, in under three minutes. I think that was the target they were aiming for. Um, the lack of coordination is, was just horrific because it, there was barely any, uh, I, I suspect the firefighters, as it mentions in the report, uh, understood that once the excise had begun, that, um, gave them automatic authority to cross the runway. That was obviously not the case. Uh, so there was, there were so many errors here, uh, and it also, of course, very sadly comes down to the fact that even if you think you've got permission to cross a runway, you always look down the damn runway to make sure that it's clear, empty. And, of course, it wasn't, very sadly. Um, so, yeah, a real collection of uh, fatal errors. That Luckily, none of the passengers, uh, there were some injuries, but none were killed. Uh, very sad that the uh, firefighters uh, suffered those two deaths and one very serious uh, injury as well. But, you know, completely avoidable accident. Uh, so what can you do, shrug your shoulders and go, wow, damn it. I don't
3: recall, Nick, did they also mention that uh, whether or not the uh, ARFF uh, vehicles were monitoring the active um Control uh, frequencies. No, I didn't. didn't read that. No, I didn't I, either. Okay. I'm just wondering. Yeah. That's definitely important. And in, in addition to looking um, before you enter a runway to make sure that nobody is, you know, about to plow plow you over, uh, you uh, should be listening up as well to make sure that you know nobody was cleared for takeoff. Um, yeah, very sad. Mm-hmm. Well, hey, look who we brought in to help us answer this next news item. And uh, this uh, happened on the 18th of September. This is from the Aviation Herald. A DHL International Aviation Boeing 767-300 freighter. Registration Alpha 9 Charlie Delta Hotel Alpha Bravo. Ooh, that's a mouthful. Performing flight 160 from Bahrain to Beirut. Uh, touched down hard while landing in Beirut at about 1915 local time, so 7.15 p.m. The crew received minor injuries. Well, <laughs> got to be a hard landing if they received injuries. And the hey. aircraft sustained substantial damage. Beirut Airport reported the aircraft suffered a hard landing. That's what we just said. Uh, the aircraft rolled out, taxied to the apron, uh, and an accident investigation commission was formed to determine the cause of the accident. And uh, METARs at the time of the incident were showing uh, winds 250 at three knots, uh, variable from 200 to 280 degrees, and some variable winds also uh, uh, the hour before uh, four knots. So very, very light winds. In fact, I, I kind of chuckled when I... It, it's always fun to read the comments uh, in places like Aviation Herald and one of the people said, uh, oh yeah, it must have been something to do with the winds. I'm thinking what <laughs> Wait, let me look at <laughs> yeah. Did I misread that? I don't think that the winds yeah this is almost like calm winds it's like so
1: anything anything south of three knots is really no wind at all. You
3: know? exactly. I, yeah unless we start getting up to at least five knots or so, I'm not even thinking about the wind. Another, uh, I love another comment here um, from uh 777 fan. Uh, when viewing the photo of the crinkled fuselage with the large logo for DHL, seems that it stands for damn hard landing. <laughs> no, or Owen. Oh, like. and, uh, and then this one, and this is why I thought uh, Rick would be the perfect person to uh, kind of cover what he thinks may have happened here. But one of the comments here, and I don't know if this is something that's viable or not, but they said going into Beirut uh, to runway one six at night because of the city lights, the coastline and dark sea make you feel uncomfortably high and you better trust your instruments all the way to touchdown. So I don't know if that's a factor or not. So, uh, well Rick uh from your hotel room studio in New York City or actually Long, Long Island uh tell us what um I, I did see some some comment commentary uh that you were making uh, via X and uh so I thought let's let's hear it on APG what do you think
1: Well um so the 767 is in my opinion one of the trickier Boeing airplanes to land because um Particularly the three hundred, um, and a lot of people think it's because the the main landing gear bogies tilt forward. No, that has got nothing to do with it. It's the only reason why those tilt forward is because that's the way they have to tilt for them to fit into the landing gear base. So that's got nothing to do with it. Um, really, the reason why the seven six seven is tricky to land it's 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 the nose. It's this the derotation of the nose. Uh, it's not the mains, but the nose. Um, during training. Um, on the on the dash 300 they are uh, very adamant and they remind you you know quite a lot about you know the 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 risks of a tail strike uh during both takeoff and landing and so they basically drill that into your head and rightfully so you know obviously the 767-300 is 21 feet seven meters longer than the dash 200 with the same height on that uh, main landing gear legs so the tail clearance of the 300 is obviously going to be less than that on the 200 right because it's a longer airplane um now the reason why the 300 is trickier to land is because as i said on that post and i've said it many times um the position of the spoilers along the court of the wing and cord of the wing is the line from the leading edge to the trailing edge of the wing. Um, the spoilers, which are the panels that pop up immediately after landing to break up the flow over the upper portion of the wing to dump that lift and basically put the entire weight of the aircraft on the on the wheels for to, to allow you to break. The position of those, when they deploy, they um, induce a nose up moment that has to be arrested properly. Um, now the way you land a seven six seven or basically any other large category airplane is you know just you fly your three degree glide path either um, well at this point you're going to be visual so you you look at the the pathies, make sure you got two reds two whites come down all the way down to about uh, depending on a variety of factors anywhere between fifty to twenty feet at that point you introduce a little bit of nose up elevator flare the aircraft arrest at the scent rate and then shift your gaze from you're aiming point to the end of the runway basically land the airplane with your peripheral vision um, and at, prior to landing obviously you arm the speed brakes right and so if the auto if the auto speed brake system is working as soon as you touch down strut compression we, um, uh, thrust levers of idle and um, main gear wheel spin up those those are the uh, conditions required for the spoilers to deploy as those, as those spoilers deploy, now on the seven six, you're going to feel that nose up moment. So you have to arrest that by not introducing a nose down uh, elevator input. You never introduce a nose down elevator input on landing ever, 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 ever. All you really have to do is you just, really, you just relax a little bit of that back pressure that you were using for the flare. And once you feel that, once you've arrested that nose up moment, then you begin to carefully um, derotate the aircraft by releasing, carefully releasing that back pressure until you feel the post-wheel touchdown. Now, the problem presents itself, and I, I don't know if that was the case here, the problem presents itself in in in, in situations where the auto-speed brake uh, portion of that, uh, uh, the auto-speed brake uh, portion, yes, of the of the spoiler system is deferred. I mean, obviously, that's something that you can be dispatched with. You don't necessarily need to have the, the auto-speed brake uh, uh, functioning for you to be able to, dispatch a flight, all you really have to do is to take into account the uh, the performance penalties associated with that, and that uh, uh, if, if you were to reject the takeoff, um, you would have to counter, you, you'd have to um, take into account the time, you know, the reaction time to bring the thrust levers to idle, and then manually deploy the uh, the, the speed brakes. And the same thing on landing, touchdown, thrust levers title and then manually deploy the speed brakes to dump the lift and slow the aircraft down. The problem lies in the fact that the rate at which you deploy the speed brakes on landing has to be, and this is from personal experience, has to be very close to the rate at which the automatic system does it. Because the faster you do it, the more pronounced that moment's going to be which is why whenever um, we were dispatched with a, an issue like that, I would always take the landing because the speed brake lever is right to my right. It's, 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 I don't have to go across the pedestal to try to reach it. And as I deploy the speed brakes manually, I can counteract and arrest the descent rate or the, 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 the slap rate of the, of the nose down with my left hand. So it's kind of like a balancing act, right? So you don't want to have you don't want to deploy them too fast, and then have the nose slam down. and And that is the reason why a lot of times um, you see these incidents on seven sixty sevens. It has to do with it has to do with the uh, with the I guess the startle factor. You feel yourself going back. You go. You, you, you think to yourself, "Oh, oh, we're going to have a tail strike." And then I guess you overcorrect, and introduce a nose down uh, elevator input, making the nose come down too hard, and then um, then you find yourself with that uh, with that uh, situation there in the fuselage. Um,
3: Now just to be clear, in this situation, um, I understand. Is this you're just speaking hypothetically? uh, uh regarding the uh, deferral of the uh, auto um right uh, yeah because um, we don't yeah, know exactly. if that was no, deferred in this case okay no, that's no, just we don't, a, we don't
1: know that was a, gotcha. yeah this is this is this is just this just is, in case people are listening
3: going well what are they why is he talking about that because we we don't know if that but right. that's 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 How, great information though
1: however however the 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 no-sub moment uh when spoilers uh deploy Happens whether the system right. is working normally or or it's not. It's just that the when it's not working normally, and you deploy the speed brakes after mm-hmm. landing uh, at a faster rate than the auto system does it, then that introduces that uh, that uh, nose up moment uh, a lot. And you know, and it, it's it's a lot it's a lot um, more pronounced than it mm-hmm. otherwise would be. Uh, and that's what you know creates that startle factor that could lead you to introduce that nose down elevator input. I right. can make the nose slap down and, and, and cause that situation. But yeah, again, as you said, we don't know. That's what happened. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've uh, it's the seven six is tricky. The seven sixty seven is a tricky, to mm-hmm. land. Have really you flown be.
3: just to speak specifically about the uh, geography and the look, this location where the incident occurred? Have you ever flown mm-hmm. into uh, Beirut?
1: No, I haven't flown, into okay. Beirut. I I've flown have. in and out of, yeah, no, I've flown, I've flown in and out of uh, Bahrain a lot, but never into mm-hmm. Beirut. Gotcha. Um, you, you were saying earlier that uh, there's uh, – some somebody was uh, – what was the comment about uh, it was, he was city commenting, lights and water? And-
3: yeah, he said 1-6 uh, approach at night uh, because of the city lights, the coastline, and the dark sea makes you feel uncomfortably high. So it gives you an illusion that you're high, and that's why you have to really fly your instruments all the way down to touch – you know, you have to really pay attention, trusting your instrumentation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you and I both, you know, experienced that illusion uh that you know you just have to fight it and and just as the commenter mentioned you know just trust your instrumentation
1: and it's true i mean there's there's places where um, um one of the things i always pay attention and include into my into my uh, approach briefing is the angle uh the glass slope angle if you're going to be flying an ils right because um ils is the, the glide slope anywhere between, I don't know, what is it, 2.75 to 3.25 degrees? Something three like degrees that, yeah. usually is mm-hmm. the is, is the norm. Um, and it's happened to me where I, when, when was the last time this thing happened to me? In Stuttgart, I think it was, a couple, couple weeks ago or a month or two ago. Um, it's a three degree glide. And it was, you know, dark, same thing. It's really nothing. Besides the big Porsche factory, there's between there and the runway, there's really nothing to it. Uh, You know, not a lot of light, and it was dark and no no moon and all that stuff. And um, uh, it seemed like the approach was a lot steeper. Also in Las Vegas, remember I asked you a couple of uh, months ago, Mm -hmm. you know, if you'd ever flown into Las Vegas? The chart says three degrees, but you look out the window and you're going, Ooh, yeah, it does not feel like it, it at pretty, all.
3: Yes, yeah, it you does know? seem steeper. It's one of those illusions. It's been a while. You know, I used to fly in and out of Vegas quite a quite often, but mm-hmm. back in the nineties. But uh, yeah, um, so and regarding the speed break, the manual speed break, well, uh, on the seven two seven, the way that Acme had it configured, I'm not sure if anybody else. I don't know know if they even had the auto spoiler function on the seven two seven. I believe it, they didn't. I I know that we didn't at, at least and that uh the way we did it at Acme was the ca- it was always the captain that would activate the whether it was whoever was flying whoever was landing the airplane the captain would always uh manipulate the uh the the spoilers and, and the the saying was you could you can make or break a landing um by the way the captain Activates the, um, the 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 spoilers on landing the manual spoilers because if you if you to um, do it too abruptly you, you can make a what could have been a really beautiful landing just a horrible landing uh, or if you don't catch it just right you know if you're coming in you can as as I said save a landing because if you're coming in really really steeply and maybe the person's not flaring it aggressively enough and you're going oh no and then but if you can like really snatch it and pull it back quickly as soon as those gear the main gear touches down you can save that landing and so i've had in fact the worst landing i think i've ever had in my life i was flying right seat 727 into sarasota and the winds were and this was before sarasota extended their runway so it wasn't super long it was maybe i mean it wasn't that short but it was maybe just shy of right around 7,000 feet, maybe. Uh, It's a little bit longer now. Um, And it was Thanksgiving Day. I still remember the day. And uh, the guy that was the captain was uh, a member of my church. Uh, (laughs) So I knew him. He was kind of a neighbor friend. And uh, I'd flown with him a few times before. And anyway, the winds were really strong. This was Thanksgiving Day, Sarasota, Florida. Uh, A lot of winds coming in off the Gulf. Um, I'd say maybe, I don't know, maybe 15 to 20 knots direct cross. And I think he was a little concerned about that. And so I'm, I'm coming in, I'm landing and I I touch down the right wheel. We're landing to the South, Touch down the right wheel. And I'm just about to low I'm in the process of lowering the left wing and the left main gear onto the runway. So far, so good. Well, somewhere in that transition, wham he pulls the uh, speed brakes out and then we went wham! and that 727 if you don't if you're not completely perfectly lined up uh the, with the the fuselage on the runway uh and you know you don't do it really really gingerly uh, you're going to get the um, what do they call that what, what do we call it? the jungle in the back the uh the orange jungle, the jungle? yeah the rubber jungle <laughs> all the all the masks uh, oh, you know the, no. the PSA uh, the, the passenger service units, PSUs, open up, and the and this is back in the day, you know, that airplane didn't have the little canisters. They had the little actual tubing, and we had a big giant tank, uh, oxygen ch- tank, that uh, had the oh, passenger oxygen, and those things dropped down. and luckily, uh, the, the oxygen didn't start flowing, but, man, I tell you what, every single passenger made some kind of a smart-ass comment uh, getting off the <laughs> airplane, and I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> Is this guy not going to, like, stand in the door with me and say, look, it's not his fault. I screwed up. I I, I made, basically made his landing the worst landing ever. Uh, no, he didn't say a thing. And then to make things really bad, after oh, yeah. everybody got off the airplane and we're in the first class area with all the flight attendants, and they're, they're giving me crap about the landing. And I'm thinking, okay, now's your opportunity, Dick. His name was Dick. No, his name is Dick. Uh, I, now's your opportunity to say, Hey, look, to be fair, it wasn't Jeff's fault. I'm the one that, that messed up his landing, but no, he didn't say a thing. I went, man, I was, and this is before cell phones. Uh, this is back in the, or I didn't have a cell phone at the time, whatever. I got off the airplane, found a payphone, called Linda, my wife and said, you are not going to believe what Dick just did to me. He dicked me. Um, <laughs> and he didn't say, any." I was, I was really kind of pissed. No, he never good. apologized. Maybe I he never even good. realized that he did it. I don't know. I'm I'm just going to give him the benefit of the doubt and think maybe he just didn't realize that he's the one that destroyed my landing. But anyway, I'm sorry I didn't mean to take up all that time on on that little No, experience.
1: no, no, that was, that was that was that was a good story. That but uh, good story. yeah, but, so but, I was uh, just like you said. Yeah. yeah. Just oh like yeah. You said, the, 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 I'm sorry. I was I was going to say just like you said the that the, the rate at which the the speed brakes deploy is very, very important, especially on an airplane like the seven six. Like I said, yeah, where those spoilers along that cord, you know, if you pop them at the wrong rate, it'll make that nose come up, and if you mm-hmm. overcorrect, you know, that 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 can happen. Now, again, not saying that's what happened here, but uh, right, it, it it has happened. It's
3: a possibility, and uh, and the uh that moment that you create with the activation of the uh, manual spoiler deployment. Uh, that you're talking about there um, has much more of an effect um, on the 7.6. Obviously, than the 7.2, the 7.2, the wing was way back in the back and everything, all the weight and everything else was back in the back. So it didn't Mm -hmm. really have that kind of effect. Um, And then the uh, other thing I was going to (laughs) say, every time I think of uh, manual spoilers and and, uh, flying the 7.27, I remember uh, flying with this crew. I was a... um, uh first officer on the 727. And the captain and the uh flight engineer were like best pals, buddies. Uh they flew mm-hmm. together a lot and uh they were just uh I, I forgot exactly what the affinity was toward each other, but they were uh a- and I was so excited because uh I was still pretty junior and I was excited because I was um this is in December and we're right before Christmas time and um, I was so excited because I was able to, um, fly a bunch in December and the only way I was going to be able to be home for Christmas was to hit kind of a, uh, a, uh, a window of time so that, uh, beyond the 21st or whatever of December, I was like a pumpkin. I couldn't, they couldn't call me up to use me. I was still on reserve, I think. And so I was very excited. I was sharing my excitement with them that, um, uh, I was going to be off for Christmas, and uh, apparently that irritated them. I I think they were off for Christmas too, but they just got irritated with me. And I think the other thing that was irritating to the captain was, um, and I'm sure you've experienced this too, Rick, where uh, the captain could not land the airplane well to save his life on this particular trip. He was in one of those bad landing ruts. We're, that happens. we all get into,
1: we all get into, and it only have so, pilots. So, and just, I happen to be not a pilot, exactly.
3: I know I happen to be in the cycle where I, I could hardly make a bad landing, <laughs> which was kind of a <laughs> tough thing to do on the seven twenty seven. I mean, that was a very difficult air. The two hundred model of the seven twenty seven was very hard to land well, um, and uh, so I think that was kind of getting to him as well. The fact that every time he landed the airplane, it, it would just crash on and then every time I landed it was almost like rolling it on and so the combination of those two things uh, we were landing in Pittsburgh I still remember you know you remember these things well I mean I, there are a lot of things I don't remember in my life but I do remember the uh, the Thanksgiving day in Sarasota and I, I remembered this landing in Pittsburgh uh, was one of the uh, diagonal not one of the parallels but the uh, I think it was like three two or something like that in Pittsburgh at uh, Pittsburgh International and uh, we're coming in everything is Looking really, really good. I'm about to do a really another nice landing, and the and the captain. We touched down, and I remember this specifically because I could see him out of my my peripheral vision. He kind of looked over at me, and just grabbed the handle and went, wham. <laughs> oh, that is. And I went, and I looked over at him. He's still looking at me, and we're rolling down the runway. And I and I just said thanks a lot. <laughs> you know, like, and he almost had this grin on his face, like, yeah, so much for your darn good landings, kid. Oh, yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to, oh, to share God. all those uh, little, no, incidents, but those yeah, are, those are good things good that story. I'll never forget that uh, people can really use that uh, manual spoiler handle as a weapon. I guess that's the bottom line.
1: Absolutely. And it can, sometimes it can be deadly. In fact, uh, I believe it was uh, back in the 60s in Tokyo Haneda, um, uh, DC-8 Air Canada, I believe it was, it uh, it crashed because the first officer deployed the spoilers too early. They were actually you know, in the flare, not, not touched down yet, but they were in the flare. He deployed the spoilers too early and they, they caused the airplane to crash because of that. And interestingly enough, the following day, um a BOAC Boeing 707 crashed um outside of Tokyo um while doing a flyby of Mount Fuji. Oh yeah, had, yeah. Uh, a, a rotor a rotor yeah. turbulence for that. It's, it was it was two very you know, sad, tragic days in Tokyo that day. But but yeah, the, the spoilers. The thing about the spoilers on landing, it's it's all about timing. And it can be a nuisance. Or it can be deadly if you don't do it right. Mm. So you have to be very, very careful when when it comes to that.
3: Yeah, so we're going to have to see what happened, you know, what actually happened in this case. Obviously, the NTSB is open in investigation, and uh, I'm sure we'll we'll hear updates on this uh, by monitoring Aviation Herald, um, and we'll uh, keep you up to date. Um, Yes, sir. All right, and uh, let's see, the next uh, item here. Uh, from the Aviation Herald uh, involves a MD 88. Never heard of that airplane. Uh, USA Jet MD 88. Um, let's see, a converted freighter. Used to be a passenger aircraft. Registration November eight three four. You um, uh, now I cannot think of what you a uniform Sierra. <laughs> I knew it was going to happen one of these days. Um, every time I'm reading out these things, I'm thinking, don't forget your phonetic alph- alphabet, Jeff.
0: Yeah.
3: Uh, November 834, uh, Uniform Sierra, performing flight 834 from Detroit-Willow uh, in Michigan uh, to Satillo, Mexico, with one passenger and two crew touched down hard on Sateo's uh, runway 17. The aircraft subsequently departed for the next sectors to Windsor, Ontario, Canada, and further to Detroit Willow, before the aircraft was taken out of service. The aircraft returned to service on August 25th, 2023, five months later. On October 4th, 2023, the NTSB reported that the aircraft sustained substantial damage. There were uh, no injuries, and the NTSB has opened a class for investigation into the accident, and uh, only the final report will be released. And uh, just uh, as a side note, uh, the this particular airframe used to be registered as November 966 uh, Delta Lima, um, a, uh, a former Acme jet that I have logged many, ah. many hours in. And uh, so... If I, only
5: they'd used a bit of, um, you know, um, paint stripper, they could have found the Acme logo.
3: Yeah, probably could have. And... Uh, as far as I know, I never had a hard landing like this, causing severe or significant damage. So, um, oh well.
5: Yeah, I, I was all set to give you some uh, help with your phonetic alphabet, Jeff, Were but you? I wasn't quite quick enough. Now I was oh. going to say uh, Uly- Ulysses uh, Geronimo. But, uh... <laughs> yeah,
3: Ulysses? Oh, yeah, that's perfect.
5: <laughs> uh,
3: um, okay, there we go. Um so yeah as i said i guess we're going to we're just going to have to wait for the final report to really learn anything about this i mean there are very sketchy details here like zero um, yeah
6: it doesn't yeah. doesn't talk about the damage or anything
3: no or what the conditions were at the airport or anything learn nothing um all right i guess we'll just continue on then with this uh a uh 330 300 accident in uh, montreal canada um let's see an a uh, a33300 air canada uh charlie Golf foxtrot alpha foxtrot performing flight 901 from fort lauderdale to montreal landed on montreal's runway six left when the crew received indications of a malfunction of the right main gear the aircraft became immobilized on the runway emergency services responded found the two forward tires on the right main landing gear blown in addition to substantial damage to the gear bogey, which made even towing impossible. The Canadian TSB reported the aircraft sustained substantial damage, rated the occurrence an accident, and opened an investigation. On And this <laughs> happened...
5: Sorry, oh. I'm just looking at the picture yeah. of that sagging bogey. It looks. Com- I mean, oh, you, no you might look at it and go, "Oh, that looks too, not too bad." Till you realise that the oleo yeah. has burst through the bogey and is now resting on the ground. Yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's a low <laughs> rider. <laughs> yeah, indeed it is. Absolutely. Sorry, I uh, do carry on. Yeah. <laughs> it is
3: funny though. I can see. While you chuckled, um, let's see. So this happened uh, in 2021, December 25th of 2021, and just a few days ago, the Canadian TSB released their final report. And let's see, the while the aircraft was taxiing for takeoff, for an undetermined reason, one of the bearings in the number four wheel seized and caused the protective sleeve to rub against the bogey beam bushing. Oh, the triple B. Causing localized (laughs) overheating of the bogey beam base metal. (laughs) The triple beam metal. Uh, Did you do that on purpose, Liz? I think she did. She put all those words together to see if I can make it through the alliteration. I
4: love a little alliteration. (laughs) You
3: do. Uh, Given that, I mean, there's got to be a show title there, huh? Bogey beam base. Bogey beam
5: brushing base. Okay.
3: Given that the overheat indicator strip closest to the beam uh, at the number four wheel on the axle was its original color, applicable procedures allowed for the replacement of the axle and the bogey beam bushing without a thorough damage assessment. Given that the component maintenance manual does not provide any specific repair for bushing replacement, the disassembly and assembly sections were used as references. Consequently, the inspection criteria during bushing replacement focused on ensuring the correct dimensions rather than detecting damage, which eliminated the requirement for non-destructive tests. Given the intact indicator strip, the clear transition between the blackened area and the adjacent protective layer, and the intact paint on the beam around the bushing, the technicians who performed the visual inspection during the replacement of the damaged bushing concluded that the beam was in good condition. Even though the, the even though the bogey beam-based metal had overheated, two cracks emanated from a previously undetected area of overheating uh, under the bogey beam bushing. Okay, so let's see. Can we can we kind of summarize here what what, what happened? It looks like uh, something broke. Uh, they used an inspection indicator strip uh, to check to see if the if anything had been overheated. I'm guessing is is that right, Camacho? I mean, you're kind of our mechanic expert uh and maybe you can make more sense of this than i'm i'm able to do
6: yeah i just i think you know they have this landing gear bogey has uh various uh metal structures metal structures inside metal structures right and so basically what they're saying here is they have a set procedure for i assume any sort of landing gear issue uh i i doubt that uh Let's see. It says the bearing seizure. I doubt that that's as common as, say, a brake issue or blowing a tire that might generate a lot of heat. But they have a generic overheat um, procedure for repairing this uh, landing gear strut. And uh, what it sounds like is that this failure mode um, transmitted a bunch of that heat into an area where they were not anticipating it. So they're generic procedure uh didn't allow them to uh find that um i don't know if that's just a matter of they when they wrote up the repair processes they didn't um have this one in mind and it's slightly different than maybe a blown tire or something but uh yeah i mean you know generally as materials or metals heat up they're strength characteristics are decreased and it looks like this this landing gear strut part cracked at some point uh, either during the overheat procedure or uh, sometime between the overheat procedure and December 25th and then uh, those cracks led to the catastrophic failure that Nick was pointing out earlier. And also uh, I should mention
3: that um, while the occurrence aircraft was taxiing into position for takeoff the uh, ecam the electronic centralized aircraft monitor generated a brakes hot message for the number 3 wheel the crew taxied the aircraft back to the terminal to have the ba- brake inspected by maintenance personnel given that the brake temperature sensor leads for the number 3 and the number 4 wheel brakes have been reversed during a previous maintenance activity Uh-oh. no deficiency were found no deficiencies were found with the number three wheel because the number three and the number four wheels were on the same axle. This reversed overheating indication had no impact on the operational procedures
5: that oh, the pilot Oh, Well, there's had some follow. fun yuns lining up there, yes, aren't there? Absolutely. <laughs> so Oh dear. That's so that's terrible. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. So they were that's they
3: weren't even looking at the right area because they're oh, it was a number three yeah. and, they, and they didn't even know. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh it's definitely Funyun, Funyuns lining up here in this case. So, um, so
5: far I've got blackened bogey beam bushing bore break bass. <laughs> say that fast <laughs> five times. <laughs> wow. Yeah, uh, that's my like show that. title, if, unless you guys can come up with something better. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sure.
3: It works for me. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, a lot, lot of uh, uh, stuff. Oh, you know what? We got to somehow work in a Barkhausen noise analysis
5: uh, test. <laughs> <laughs> Barkhausen. There's about there's another. I was going to go with boiling break base as well. <laughs> yeah.
3: Oh my. <clears throat> okay. Uh, so yeah, something heated up and uh, it it done broke. That's basically what happened here. Um, yeah. Uh, looks I, like.
4: I-, I Hall says
3: that uh, he's got uh, an analysis there. Oh, okay. So, so I Hall Boxes is asking so the bent bogey beam base brakes buses brakes? Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> beautiful analysis. Beautifully put. Beautifully. Beautifully put. Uh, what's another B word? <laughs> we, we can have a lot of fun, can't we? Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Uh, that's enough of that. All right. Uh, the next thing I'd like to. And this is something that happened just, what, two or three days ago, two nights ago, something Mm -hmm. like that. Um, And this is also from the Aviation Herald. Um, A FedEx Boeing 757-200 freighter, registration November 977, Foxtrot Delta, performing 1376 from Chattanooga to Memphis, Tennessee, home base. With three crew were climbing out of runway 20 at Chattanooga when the crew stopped the climb at 5,000 feet, reporting a minor issue requiring them to work checklists. I'll tell you what, uh, instead of reading all this narrative from the Aviation Herald, I think it might be kind of fun. Well, not fun, but um, informative for us to actually listen to the live ATC Um and just kind of see this whole situation develop. It's it's kind of long. It's about a fifteen minute um, video uh, with the live ATC uh, communications, but uh, it uh, it it will kind of uh, give you a sense of how everything progressed uh, in this incident. So here we go. We're going to add this to. This is from uh, you can see ATC. Um, and they're using the live ATC audio, uh, in the beginning of the video, they tell us about what they're kind of do in the setup here. Uh, but as I mentioned in the narrative with the Aviation Herald, they're just, uh, taking off out of Chattanooga. Have
7: a great day. FedEx 1376.
3: All nice and happy go lucky. FedEx
7: 1376, 2,400 climbing 5,000 runway heading.
8: FedEx 1376 Chattanooga departure radar contact. Climb maintain one zero thousand. Can direct Mackin?
7: Right one zero. Th- climb maintain one zero thousand. Right, direct Mackie. FedEx 1376.
3: Okay. So far, so good.
7: Departure FedEx mm-hmm. 1376. We're working a uh, minor issue. Can we maintain
8: runway heading up to uh, say five thousand? FedEx 1376, affirmative. Um, And altitude, maintain 5,000. Continue runway heading. Advise if you require any assistance.
7: Okay. uh, Runway heading 5,000. We'll uh, call you back. FedEx 1376.
3: Just a minor issue at this time. Mm Mm-hmm. 1376. I might just start vectoring you uh, to the west and then uh, maybe to the north just to keep you in my airspace.
7: Uh, We need to stand by. FedEx 1376.
8: FedEx 1376, roger.
3: Now he's, like, calling Atlanta. FedEx
8: 1376. FedEx 1376, am I able to bring you to the north or do you need to continue roto-heading?
9: To the, uh, uh, let's see, yeah, we'll take a turn to the north.
8: FedEx 1376, roger, I'll just take you, uh, correct, and turn right, heading 360. Right heading 360,
9: FedEx 1376.
3: And I'm talking about the controller calling Atlanta to say, hey, we got this guy about to go into your airspace. FedEx
9: 1376. Do you require assistance? Right now, we're talking with, a, with the company, seeing where the, where they want us to go. We'll, we'll
3: get back to you. FedEx 1376. Roger. Just uh, let me know your we Will do. Okay, I'm going to pause it for a moment. Um, so, right now, they're thinking, okay, got an issue. Need to decide where we're going to go with this. Are we going to go as we had originally originally planned to uh, Memphis, where our headquarters are, and lots of long runways and that kind of thing? Or, at this point, I don't think they really understand the um, severity of the issue that they're going to have to deal with here. Um, and but you know, it's good. It kind of shows you the decision making that's going on. You're talking with your company if you have the avail- uh, ability to do that and uh, kind of make a. a, a Joint decision as far as you know what to do. Do you want me to try to bring it back here in Chattanooga, and what kind of logistical issues we might have with? Uh, do we have mechanics there? You know that that sort of thing, or do we try to limp this thing to Memphis where it might work out better for logistics? And uh, so that's kind of the initial decision-making process going on here. Quick
1: question here, just yeah. Before we move on, um, uh-huh. so those little short flights there. What, uh, so say from, you've flown, uh, from, um, from Atlanta to Chattanooga, Mm -hmm. um, what, what would be your cruise altitude there? What's the highest you would get to maybe mid twenties, low twenties?
3: Not even that. I don't believe Maybe up to, yeah, maybe low twenties, maybe 22, 23, something like that. I think that's as high as we have ever gone. And it's literally a, like a 20 something minute flight, or maybe sometimes even under 20 minutes, So it's it's a hop, skip, and a jump from Atlanta, um, just over the uh, Georgia-Tennessee border, um, is where the Chattanooga airport is. I mean, like say
1: Chattanooga to
5: Memphis. How high would you be able to get to?
3: Oh, I don't. um, So from from Atlanta to Memphis, it's about an hour flight, I believe, if I remember correctly, just over an hour, maybe from Chattanooga, maybe just under an hour. So you know, it's. It's probably something in the upper teens, low twenties as well. Maybe, maybe they get all the way up to the you know low thirties. Um, I'm not sure, honestly.
1: Okay, and and that's and I'm writing some notes down here because mm-hmm. um, based based on the based on the issue, there's a couple of things to keep in mind as far as um, uh, the altitude and the speed you're able to reach um, with the aircraft configured the way that it is. So, but we'll touch on that one. Then.
3: Yeah. And right now, you know, it's hard to it, – we're just doing a lot of speculation here because we don't know exactly yeah, yeah. what they're experiencing. They're having a minor okay. issue, and we we kind of know because we know what the ending of this is, uh, that it probably has something to do with the hydraulic system or some of the components that are controlled by hydraulics on the 757. Mm-hmm. So at first, yeah, maybe the – oh, well, let's listen to more of the uh, mm-hmm. video here.
9: Yeah, FedEx 1376, uh, looks like we're going to be coming back to Chattanooga, we're going to need uh, a little bit of time here though, just uh, some extended vectors to run some checklists, uh, we'll call you back. Okay, FedEx
8: 1376, uh, 40 vectors, turn right heading zero 020, zero. I'll just keep you uh, north of the airport, you can expect, uh, I'll just back gear around up there.
9: Okay, zero 020 zero heading for now, uh, FedEx 1376.
8: FedEx 1376, are you declaring emergency at all? Negative. FedEx 1376, Roger. Negative. FedEx 1376, turn right, heading 200. Zero zero. FedEx uh,
9: 1376, yeah, we're, uh, if we could just go across the final approach uh, course and then back, we're we, going we need some time to get our. Uh flaps down and everything. We'll let you know we're
8: ready to come up to the approach. Right, FedEx 1376, roger. Fly heading uh, 090. I'll bring you across uh, to the north and then bring it back down from the northeast. Okay, 090 now. FedEx 1376.
3: Okay, uh, just a quick pause again. Um, it's been a while since I've flown a real Boeing. Um, and I, th- is and I know you didn't fly the 757 specifically, Rick, but you've flown the seven six, which is mm-hmm. very, very, in many ways, very similar to the seven five. Um, yep. and if, what I remember is, uh, with hydraulics and the flaps, normally, uh, there's a way uh, normally the flaps are operated, actuated with hydraulics, but there is a backup of electrical, um, manipulation of the flaps as well. Correct
1: right so the the 76 and the 75 uh, they have very similar hydraulic systems you have a left a center and a right uh, uh, the center system is a heavy system uh, it, it handles uh, the bulk of the you know the bulk of the flight controls um, the landing gear actuation uh, and the flaps um, obviously the left system has uh, is, is run by uh, an engine uh, driven pump and it has um, also uh, an electric pump, the right system, same deal, engine and electric pump. And on the 7.6, you have the um, two electric pumps and an um, air demand pump that uh, switches on when the demand of the system is high. Um, the 7.57 system is very, very similar. And I, I, was, I was looking at the, at the overhead panel and the basically what the hydraulic panel looks like on the 75 and uh, uh, the difference between the 75 and the seven76 uh, hydraulic panels at the 75 hydraulic panel doesn't I don't see a demand pump on the center system there so I imagine uh, the uh, well, obviously that the electric pumps are on all the time but, you know to keep that center system pressurized at 3,000 psi to actuate all the things I need to actuate uh, but I guess the the output of those pumps does not Make it necessary for it to have a demand pump, which just I guess the system is fine with uh, the, the the three thousand psi that the two electric pumps provide. Um, and so the, uh, but like as as you said, when whenever you have an issue with the center hydraulic system, which has actually happened to me, it happened to me um, a very very similar situation to this. Um, coming out of uh, Guayaquil, South America, we we're going to Madrid, and uh, when we put the we, we, we retracted the landing gear and then when we went from flaps one to flaps up um, we got an eye uh, a an indication on the on the engine indicated cooler system the center screen there it said a uh, center hydraulic system and we went to the status page and uh, the, the screen below it looked at the status of the center hydraulic system and looked and, and, and uh, the entire contents of the center hydraulic system had leaked out now, obviously, now we found ourselves with um, no center hydraulic system, no heavy system. And so the only way to, um, to uh, put gear down and flaps out is uh, the flaps electric, which takes a long time. And there's things that you have to take care of um, as, as far as uh, making sure that you bring the flaps down step by step. Because one of the things that the alternate system doesn't have, that the normal system does have, is what's called uh, asymmetry protection. Basically, um, the, the, the normal system makes sure makes sure that both sets of flaps come down at the same rate. Uh, the electric system does not do that. Um, and then another thing you have to be careful with when configuring the aircraft this way is that uh, you have to make sure that you are well below the flap placard speed uh, for the for the flap setting you're going to select, um, uh, because the electric system it's it's just it, it's. It doesn't pack the punch that, their, that a hydraulic system does, right? So you have to be very careful with with making sure that you're below that speed, and it takes a hell of a lot longer. It takes a long, long, long time, um, and that's what I was going to talk about. I was I was going to I was wondering here, the guy did mention that he needs to put his flaps down, but I'm wondering if he means flaps and slats or just flaps because they you know, they both come down electrically on the um, alternate way, but the issue with having slaps out means that you are limited to 20,000 feet because you can't fly with any high lift device on on, on any of these Boeings above 20,000 feet so that was an issue with with the altitude from you know, go from A to B and then also your speed restricted um, on the 7.6, your max speed with flaps out was 250 knots indicated and so if you have any kind of high lift device out uh, you're limited to 250 and and south of 20,000 feet. Uh, no, so okay. um, so that's, that's something to keep something in mind. Something that
3: they're considering itself. probably as far as, you know, taking it somewhere else.
1: Absolutely. And, uh, you know, flying into La Paz, Bolivia, Quito, Ecuador, Bogotá, Colombia, you have to be really careful because um, uh, a lot of these airports of Quito, I was in Quito the other day, the airport, Sits at 8,000 feet, um, and the the old one used to be close to ten thousand feet above sea level. And uh, when they start slowing you down, start uh, you know to get you into the sequence for for, for the approach. Oftentimes, you're above twenty thousand feet, so you have to be careful not to
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know start configuring above twenty. And it can be easy because you, you know, if, if you lose track of where you are, situational awareness as far as your altitude. It it, it can easily be uh, uh, put you in a position where you can start configuring above twenty. You don't want that. Triple seven fixed that because the flaps were um, inhibited above twenty thousand. So um, even even if you're trying to keep the stupid pilots
3: from uh, extending them uh, above twenty thousand feet,
1: I tell you. And just and just like (laughs) just like uh, I tell you, the triple seven fixed everything that the seven sixty seven had wrong with it. That Mm -hmm. one that one was one of the issues. The other one was uh, to touch back. For for a second here on on the on the last uh, piece of news, the triple seven, you no longer have that nose up moment because it cycles the 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 spoiler panels. Only certain spoiler panels come out until you get down below one degree uh, deck a- angle, and once you get past that one degree deck angle, the rest of them come up. So that that counter that you don't you no longer feel that nose up moment when you land when you touch down on the triple seven as you know, as opposed to the So gotcha. But anyway.
3: Beautiful. All right. Uh, so here, so again, uh, just to catch us up with this, uh, situation in progress, they've had the minor issue. They have not, dec- it was very quick to say, uh, you, would you like to declare an emergency? Yeah. Negative. It was like before he I was don't. even finished say, asking the question. Negative. I
1: don't want to have to do paperwork.
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Although he's going to have to anyway. Uh, a lot of it. Um, so anyway, uh so they're on uh the, the the controller is a little nervous because they're they're he's launched him to the south and he's heading right toward uh the Atlanta airspace and And he's thinking, can I give you a turn Uh, because I need to keep you in my airspace, please, please, because I'm going to have to. He's probably on the landline, you know, trying to connect with all these different controlling agencies. Hey, I got the 75. I don't know where he's going. Well, I know where he's going. I'd like to turn him back to the north, but he may end up actually going into your airspace. So just a warning. So he's got a lot of things that he's juggling. All we hear is what he's communicating over the radio. But I'm sure that things are quite busy in in the TRACON uh, up there in uh, Chattanooga or radar room or whatever, or tower. I guess it's still tower that we're, that, no, no, no. It's, it's a departure control that, that he's talking to here. Okay. So uh, now they got him up to the North of the Chattanooga airport and uh, we'll continue with this uh, audio. uh, FedEx
9: 1376. We can, uh, we're ready to commence the approach. We can uh, take a descent now, Becker.
8: FedEx 1376. Turn right. Heading 1, correction turn right, heading 230 to set and maintain 3000.
9: Right, 230 down to 3000, FedEx 1376.
8: FedEx 1376, Just confirming you're not declaring an emergency. <laughs> uh,
9: flight control issue, uh, don't need any further assistance to this time.
8: 61376. Roger. Just let me know if you need any assistance since uh, you can expect to intercept the localizer for Runway 20. thirteen seventy six.
3: Yeah, must have had issue, like, retracting.
8: here, one 7 miles from Daisy. Maintain 3,000 until established on the localizer. Cleared ILS Runway 20
3: approach. He's way out
7: there. Okay. Maintain 3,000 until established on the localizer. Cleared
9: ILS, runway 20, Cadena, FedEx 1376. And yeah, FedEx uh, 1376, we'd like to break off the approach. We're going to uh, unsafe your indication now. FedEx
8: 1376, Roger, approach claims cancelled. Uh, uh, are you able to climb, sir?
9: Uh, Yeah, we could climb uh, maybe the back 5,000 if that helps you. FedEx
8: 1376, absolutely. Approach claims cancelled. Climb maintain 5,000 and uh, continue on the 230 heading.
9: All right, up to 5,000, and continue on a 230 heading, FedEx 1376.
3: So they tried to configure way out there, I guess.
8: 1376, turn left, heading 200. 200, FedEx 1376?
3: In anticipation of the fact that they were going to have probably some issues with lowering the gear, right?
8: 1376, I may just uh, hold you at Daisy if you'd like to
9: uh, do that holding instruction. Uh, we'll get back to you, FedEx 1376. 1376,
8: routed. Static approach, FedEx
9: 1376. FedEx 1376, approach. Yes, sir, uh, when we land, we're gonna, um, have to stomp on the runway. We're not gonna have any, uh, steering available to us, and we'll get our, our, tug out, but just to give you a heads up, we'll be, uh, shutting down the runway, so, uh, in that case, we're gonna go ahead and, uh, declare an emergency this time. We got, uh, three souls on board, approximately an hour and a half of fuel remaining.
8: FedEx 1376, roger, and is that uh, for uh, unsafe gear indication? at
9: uh, the alternate gear extension now. FedEx 1376,
8: uh, roger, we'll, uh, we'll get the trucks rolling for you, and uh, just let us know when you're ready for your approach, and uh, when you get everything set up for
9: it. Uh, FedEx 1376, welcome. Hmm.
8: Fedex 1376, turn right, heading zero two
3: zero. Right there, zero two zero. FedEx 1376. Basically, a uh, right downwind. They're uh, setting them up for, and I'm gonna. Well, they, they go around. Okay, I guess I'll just let it play out. Yeah. <laughs> kind of a long process here. That's
9: uh, uh, FedEx 1376. We like to do a low pass uh, over the runway. If we have a, If we're showing any gear down, I would appreciate.
8: X1376, Roger. Uh, I'll, get you, uh, I'll get you a few more miles out there, and then I'll start bringing in and uh, descending you over the airport. 1376 Now uh, we'll get everybody looking at you. Thanks. Oh yeah. X1376, turn right, heading 110. 1376, I'm just going to keep you on this frequency for your low approach. And uh, we got everybody uh, looking for your gear.
3: 1376.
8: That's helpful. Yeah. 1376, turn right, heading 170, intercept the localizer. All right, 170, 1376. X1376, you're four miles from Daisy. Maintain 3000 until established on the localizer. Cleared ILS, runway 20 approach. 1376, FedEx 1376, tower advises, runway 20, cleared low approach. Cleared low approach, FedEx 1376. FedEx 1376, your climb out instructions are fly runway heading, climb and maintain 5000. Runway heading 5000, FedEx 1376. Tower, uh, do you have, uh, visual 1376? FedEx 1376, uh, I'll just relay from the tower, you want them to look at you right now? Yeah, just make sure second, can see us visually. here, we uh, two miles. Yeah, FedEx 1376, just overfly, uh, just a low approach runway two here, just overfly the runway and uh, everybody will look and see if, uh, they, if your gear appears down. 1376.
9: Thank you. Uh FedEx 1376, any word? FedEx 1376,
8: both tower and the ground crew said they uh, there appeared to not be landing gear observed, no landing gear observed.
0: Okay, okay. copy that, we're going to turn
8: back uh, immediately and we're going to plan on a uh, no gear landing. 1376,
3: Roger, maintain 4000. So, just pausing again, um, at this point, Rick, I know we're not in the cockpit with them, uh, but it almost seems to me that that last statement, that last transmission, is indicating that they have tried the um, alternate gear extension as well. Correct.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely.
3: Okay.
1: Um, when we had our issue, um, that's that was the only way to put the gear down. It's just just the alternate gear extension. Um, the thing about the um, uh, two things, um, the first one, the the lowest. I mean, I guess the highest flap setting you can have on this particular um, center hydraulic system out uh, scenario is flaps twenty. So your landing flap is flaps 20 um, for two reasons. The first one, because you cannot, since you're since you're extending and retracting flaps electrically, um, the electrical system is not quick enough to bring the flaps up from either 30 or 25 back up to 20 um, uh, in the amount required for you to be able to uh, complete or comply with your second segment climb during a go-around. Uh, and then, obviously, the other reason is that, you know, flap 20 is your flap setting for a go-around. Um, and then um,
3: the –
1: well, we, we can talk about the landing gear here in a little bit. Okay. Uh,
3: let's continue here. 4,000, FedEx
1: 1376.
3: Also notice that the urgency – FedEx
8: 1376, turn left heading 090. Left zero on FedEx
9: 1376, emergency
3: is becoming more urgent-sounding transmissions. 1376. FEDX 1376.
9: maintain 4,000. Fly heading 090. Turn around
8: 0. there, 0, 0 1376. I can just feel the... 1376,
3: turn left heading 020. 020, FEDX 1376. I can feel, feel the anxiety in his voice, his transmissions mm-hmm. now.
8: 1376, we've been uh, talking to your desk, uh, the FedEx desk, so... We got all the information that we need from uh, them, uh, based on your cargo and all that stuff. So, I'm
9: planning on a gear up landing. Obviously, we'll be uh, shut down and evacuating on the runway. thirteen seventy six, Roger. Uh,
8: egressing on runway two zero. Current wind call
3: pick up the pick up the latest data uh, if you don't
8: mind.
1: You a, a <laughs> I know, right? If you'd like that. Give me uh, some landing performance. Tex thirteen seventy six, Roger. <laughs> all right, so we're.
8: 1376 do you have an updated uh, fuel report for me at all yeah we have uh, approximately one hour of fuel remaining one hour of fuel remaining Roger we'll update uh, the uh, the fire department and uh, we'll get you down here shortly 1376 1376 six. to maintain 3000 send 3000 sorry 1376
3: yeah I think he's about to turn the base
8: 1376 Turn left heading 290. Left
9: turn, 1376.
8: 1376, continue left turn heading 230, intercept the localizer, runway 20. 230, turn the
9: localizer, runway 20,
8: 1376. 1376, if you go through uh, 170, put you back on, turn left heading
9: 170 to intercept. Yeah, sorry, we're trying to do, uh, maneuver to. See if I can draw the gear door open. Uh, we're turning now.
8: X 1376, no worries, sir. Uh, you're three miles from Daisy. Maintain 3000 until established on the localizer. Cleared ILS runway 20 approach. Alright, 3000 so uh, clear ILS runway 2 0 approach, for 1376.
3: Doing some yanking and banking.
8: Power advises runway 20. 0, clear to land. Clear to land, 1376. Get that darn gear out. Come on. Wind calm and FedEx 1376, I'll just keep you on this frequency, sir. Uh, we would actually want, uh, or return here, we'll
9: let you know, we're turn back about. FedEx 1376,
8: roger. Approach, uh, clearance canceled. Do you just like to, uh, turn out due to another, uh, another lap? Yeah, we'll,
9: we'll just, if you will not like a left turn here, we'll, we'll call you back, FedEx 1376. FedEx 1376,
8: no worries, sir. Approach clearance canceled. Uh, climb and maintain 3000, turn left heading 090.
9: 03000, FedEx 1376.
8: 6, 1376, just let me know when you're ready to come in.
9: 1376,
3: okay. Trying some more th- tricks up their sleeve, I
8: think. 6, 1376, turn left, heading zero, 020. Zero. But there aren't any. FedEx 1376. FedEx 1376, turn left, heading
9: 200. Hey, turn uh, the heading up, FedEx 1376. FedEx 1376,
8: so you said you want the current heading?
9: Uh, we're going to have to commence approach now. Alright,
8: FedEx 1376, roger. Turn left heading 230. Intercept the localizer, runway 20. 230, on the localizer, FedEx 1376. FedEx 1376, you're 1-2 one, miles from Daisy. Maintain 3,000 until established on the localizer. Cleared ILS runway 20 approach.
7: Okay, 3000, still savage, cleared ILS 20, FedEx 1376,
3: emergency. Yeah, he's out there 20 miles or so north of the airport. 1376,
8: tower advises, runway 20, cleared to land.
3: Different voice uh, that we're hearing now.
1: Yeah, the FO is running the check ropes and the captain's Yep.
8: Newgate Airport, wind 130
3: at 4. I'm sure the captain said, you know what? It's going to be a mine landing.
8: At Nuga Airport, wind 1403. <laughs> Altivator 3011, wind 1403. At Airport, wind 140 at 3. Altivator 3011.
1: Yes. One four
3: zero three. Okay, showing a depiction of the touchdown, and then ex- going beyond.
7: is now closed.
3: The end of the runway.
7: Attention all aircraft. Chattanooga Airport is now closed. Airfield is closed.
8: Chattanooga Airport uh,
3: now closed. Okay. Um, so I'm going to remove this video and then I'm going to quickly add another one because it's a uh, video of the actual touchdown of the 757. That's not good.
1: Nope, it's not. <laughs>
3: Kind of hear it hitting some stuff beyond the end of the runway there. But no big mm-hmm. explosion, uh, which is a good thing.
1: That is always good, yes.
3: Uh, yeah, and again, we'll just start right here. I'm going to turn the volume down a little bit because it was kind of loud. But you can you know, see – in fact, it uh, looks like we're on the west side of the airport, uh, kind of looking to the east. And I think that's the terminal where we usually uh, uh, onload and um, uh, offload passengers. And uh, here we go, coming into view, right there, touching down on the engine cowlings, lots of sparks, quite a light show, a lot of scraping noises. And it almost goes beyond view there, and Mm -hmm. off the end of the runway, and unfortunately with this video we can't really see all of that. Anyway. Um, the, uh, it was a happy ending. Uh, well, sort of, uh, nobody was injured and the crew was able to evacuate, uh, from the aircraft and the, uh, uh the 757 did not go down an embankment and into a river, <laughs> which is, uh, not too far off the end of the, uh, runway, 7,400 feet long, as we mentioned before. So,
1: mm-hmm.
3: um, it, uh it could have been worse, I guess is my point.
1: How far off the end of the runway is the localizer? uh,
3: Um, I'm not sure.
1: I've never been to Chattanooga, so I don't
3: know. I, I I don't recall. Not too far. Uh, so I think that may have been some of the noise that we heard. Um, when, on that last video, I, I could hear some like impact noises, but luckily no explosion noises. Um, but uh, if you look at the, uh, I should have put the airport diagram in, as part of our um, our images. But um, not to, as I said, maybe three two thousand feet beyond the end of the runway, it depicts a um, a river uh, or a or a uh, or a stream or something. But it's it's definitely some water out there, and I think that's down an embankment, from what I remember. That yeah, so. Could Have been a heck of a lot worse. So, so here we are. We were talking about uh, they were in the process of uh, doing their troubleshooting and getting vectored around by air traffic control. Uh, they've come to the conclusion that um, our gear is not down and locked. And uh, as we mentioned, we think we, they've already gone through the alternate extension procedure and nothing. And now they're probably realizing, oh, you know, our our fuel state is such that we really have no choice but to keep it here in chattanooga instead of you know risking having to land in the middle of an open field like the uh the uh omsk situation with the uh, ural a320 that landed in the field um so um yeah so your thoughts uh rick
1: well um so for the the obviously as we talked about the you know alternate gear extension uh, part of that checklist um says that you have to bring the landing gear lever to the off position now. And in and, and these 7.5s and 7.6s, the landing gear has got three positions. You've got down, you got up, and you got off. Um, immediately after takeoff, obviously, positive ready to put the landing gear up. You wait for the gear to cycle up. Um, and then at, at you know later on down, uh, depending on your particular SOP, uh, you'll bring the landing gear lever to the off position. What that does is it, it basically depressurizes its center hydraulic system, and uh, all that fluid, that actuate of the gear up, goes right back down to the uh, into the center uh, reservoir. Um, and now the way the landing gear is held up, kept in the up position, is by up blocks, right? And so... Um, um, the reason why it's important to make sure that you have the landing gear in the off position prior to initiating your alternate gear extension is because you don't
2: want to have you don't want to
1: have the because uh, uh, the, basically what you do, what you're doing when you're when you're extending the gear uh, by the alternate way is just you're letting the gear free fall. Uh, so if you have any hydraulic uh, fluid keeping the gear up, then obviously that's not going to work. So you have to make sure that the gear is in the off position first. And then the next the next step to that is you you uh, you flip the switch a guarded switch right underneath the landing gear lever. To the down position, right? So you open the guard, flip the switch down, and what that does, very, very basically, what that does is it it releases the uplocks electrically. Um, and um, I'm sure everybody is aware, and everybody's thought about the parallels between this incident and the Lot Seven Sixty Seven that happened a couple of years ago um, in uh, in Warsaw. Um, the reason why that happened in Warsaw was because the FO apparently had bumped, and I'm not saying this is what happened here, um, but this, this is what happened there with that 7-6, particular 7-6 in, in, in Poland. Uh, the, the FO had bumped a circuit breaker on the P-6 panel, and the P-6 panel is the panel that sits uh, behind and to the right of the FO, uh, right underneath what would have been the flight engineer station. So you bump that uh, a, a circuit breaker associated with the hot battery bus, which is the bus, the electrical bus that, among other things, um, controls the electric uplocks for the landing gear. Um, now, when this happened, I looked at the um, the year this 757 first flew, and this is a 1988 vintage. And the reason why that's important, or not important, at least relevant, is because the um, uh, Boeing Aircraft Company uh, was made aware of this, the the potential of uh, knocking certain circuit breakers uh, on that P-6 panel. And so I forget what year it was, uh, but uh, they went ahead and uh, redesigned and retrofit uh, older airplanes with um, circuit circuit breaker guards that prevent something like this from happening. Now, I don't know if, um, if this uh, particular 7.5 had that done. I don't know if um, that circuit breaker was popped or not. Obviously, we're going to find out. But um, the alternate gear extension being such a simple system, all you really need is the center, you know, the, the hot battery bus to be in line or online for that to work. Um, it, it, it could be a, a very real possibility that that uh, is what indeed, uh, in fact, happened.
3: You know, you would think that these guys flying a 7.5 would have recalled the lot, the Polish airline situation in Warsaw. I mean, that's what we immediately thought of. Um, Of course, you know, when you're in a situation with high pressure, high stress, oh, no, what's happening here? Sometimes our our ability to recall things that have happened in the past may... (laughs) be, you know, that might not be available to their brains at this point, but I'm hoping, I'm hoping they would have thought, okay, let's not be that seven, six landing gear up in, in Warsaw. Uh, let's check, Hey, check the circuit breakers over there. Make, Make sure we don't, but again, we don't know, uh, if that's a possibility here or not.
1: Yeah, and and it's it's there's there are certain there are certain um, at, at least for me there are certain circuit breakers that I memorize that I like to keep in mind in, in in case of situations like this obviously one is the one for the hot buttery bus and then another set of circuit breakers that I keep very very present in my head um, in, in case I ever find myself in a situation where um, uh, it, it might uh, you know find myself in a the pickle there is the circuit breakers to the Side deck um, speakers. You remember that uh, Era Peru Seven Five that went down off the coast of Lima back in the late nineties, I believe it was. And it was the, you had all sorts of uh, they had covered over the over the static ports, and it had all sorts of uh, um, uh, overspeed and stall warnings, and you know, all these nuisance uh, uh, warnings over the speakers, basically. Um, and obviously, yeah, they ended sadly. They ended up uh, going into uh, into the Pacific Ocean. And, uh, I thought, you know, and and I've discussed this with, with my, um, instructors and other pilots, other line pilots, and we all kind of have agreed and everybody that I talked to kind of has agreed that, um, well, you know what, if, if, if you're getting all sorts of nuisance warnings from left and right, you're trying to figure out what's going on and you're trying to follow a procedure, um, why not just remove that, um, that aspect of it and all those distractions and and try to focus on, on, on what the problem is, because in that particular incident, even though they didn't have any barometric instruments, they did have inertial ground speed and they did have a uh, radial altimeter. And that was right in front of them. And so I imagine that all those nuisance warnings played a part in them, not, you know, not, not, not being able to, to discern that and, 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 and focus their attention on that. And so, on the seventy five and the seventy six h thirty two pop it b sixteen pop it and that'll take care of the that'll take care of the of the uh, of the speakers and then you can you can focus on what you're doing
3: speaking of that kind of a that kind of a situation i almost commanded a, an ejection um when i was flying the as an instructor pilot on the t thirty seven in the air force we had a can a sixty something pin cannon plug that uh, got fouled because of debris or dirt or whatever it was, uh, corrosion. And all of these things were simultaneously warning cabin, not locked, warning uh, e- engine overheat on both engines. We only, you know, the Genius. procedure there is to, re- you know, take the power back to idle to see if the overheat warning goes away. But I'm thinking, well, this is not going to work. You can't take both engines back. <laughs> and, and and finally, uh, you know, it just dawned on I me, mean, wait a minute, what How is it that we're having all of these things happening all at the same time? And it's very, very, it just blows your mind. It's just like, and I, as I said, I came really close to, and it was, by the way, also, we were flying formation in IMC. And uh, my wingman uh, with his student uh, lost sight of us, and they were in the midst of a lost wingman procedure. They were breaking out. And, um, yeah, so it was, it was a mess. It was quite a mess, but anyway, so I, I understand how distracting, uh, that can be when you have all those warnings going off at the same time. So it's a great idea. Any of you out there flying the, uh, seven, five or seven, six, uh, what Rick just said regarding know where those circuit breakers are in case you're in a situation like this, where, um, everything is just blaring and giving you nuisance warnings. Yeah. All right. So, um, so the so the so basically you're saying the uplocks are electrically activated, and uh, we're um, surmising here or speculating that um, for some reason either electricity is not getting to these uplocks or somehow it's been removed. Uh, we don't know yeah, how, I mean, uh, yeah. but that's but if you can't get electricity to those uplocks then you're um out of luck right you're sol
1: yeah there's 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 no other i mean once the uplocks release there is uh, there is a little obviously the, the gear free falls and the way the gear is locked is by the, the side braces and the drag braces and it's all aerodynamic um and then the nose gear has got a um uh, basically the same it, it, it locks aerodynamically uh, obviously cuz the gear was not actuated normally or cycled normally the gear doors stay out because the gear doors are, are also at um, you know actuated with the center hydraulic system on the on the, on the 75 and the 76 so those that, that's a, that's a telltale sign that uh, that the gear was uh, dropped at the alternate way but uh, and and on the 75 in particular i don't remember the 76 but on the 75 uh there is uh, left hydraulic system fluid in a standpipe that is associated with helping the gear to come down, free falling down. Um, uh, but uh, but yeah, but 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 the the, the domino that, that that sets up that that whole sequence off is the release of the electrical uplocks. And if the uplocks do not release, then none of that matters.
3: Yeah, it so seems like the, that must be the culprit here. Uh, it, it, mm-hmm. it it looks like everything is pointing toward that, right? Mm-hmm. I think so. Oh man. Um, so they. Um, and again, you know, we we're going to get more information about the the thought process of what was happening uh, on uh, in on the uh, flight deck there, and uh, regarding uh, decisions as to where do we do we really try to do a gear up landing in Chattanooga with the seven thousand four hundred foot runway, or do we try to get this thing somewhere else? But at this point, maybe uh, again, speculation. Uh, all this r- flying around the circuit and doing all the troubleshooting resulted in burning the fuel that would have been necessary to burn to get it to Memphis or to Nashville or to Atlanta. And now they're they're stuck with landing it at Chattanooga. Um,
1: yeah, but good. So to their to their defense, I mean there and 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 when when things like these happen, especially nowadays, you have access to SATCOM, you have A cars, you have all sorts of ways to communicate with the company, with the maintenance control, with the operations center. Um, this kind of stuff is not a decision that's made solely by the flight crew or the captain. Um, uh, the, the, the nature of, of of being the pilot in command of an aircraft is not taken on all obviously you have all the responsibility, but not all, all, all the decision making process. It's shared because you have to you have to include as many people as possible in that process for the outcome to be as you know the best that it can be under the uh, under the circumstances and so he did say i did i did hear that he said he was on the phone with or he was in contact with the company trying to figure out yeah you know so if, if they ended up back in chattanooga guys, because perhaps FedEx told them to go back to Chattanooga, but they made that decision not knowing the the how how you know how hard or how difficult the situation was going to be down the road. Um, because obviously, um, talking about only being able to put the flaps out to twenty, you know, uh, flaps twenty, a uh, flaps twenty landing. These airplanes, uh, well, I don't know what kind of loads uh, the 7.5s or FedEx operate in, um, but a uh, flap 20 landing on a 7,000 foot long runway, uh, even if the wind is calm, it's a little, I don't know, it's a maybe, maybe a little tight for me. Um, I've, I've, you know, I, would, I would prefer personally some a little longer. You, you talked about, you know, talked about Atlanta. Huntsville's right down the road. Used to fly in and out of Huntsville mm. all the time. Runway, sure. what is it? one, one eight right is, is what's like oh, a yeah, very long. long. It was a long runway. So, yeah, you had, you had a lot of very long runways. And the reason why I think they ended up back in Chattanooga was because FedEx told them, hey, go right
3: back to Chattanooga. Yeah. And then yeah. they
1: found themselves in a position where they didn't have the fuel to fly back out of there. Yeah, how they know so that
3: they were going <laughs> to land gear up? They probably would have immediately okay. said, oh, I'm not going to do that here. You know. Yeah. So but, I
1: I don't blame these guys absolutely. I, no, I, I don't no, no. For that.
3: It just kind of happened to lead them down that primrose path, I guess, and and all of a sudden, when they realized, oh wait a minute, uh, this path is no good, uh, it was too late to choose any others. Yeah, Yeah. to go anywhere else. Wow, I'm glad I wasn't in that situation. That's for sure. And I think they did a great job. You know, the airplane um, looks like they maybe could use it again. Uh, Maybe not the engines. (laughs) I'm not sure how much uh, protection that that cowling um, has to. uh, prevent you know know, severe damage to those engines but i'm guessing they're probably not going to be able to use those engines again but those
1: those old rollers are are done
3: yeah and you know the the airframe itself doesn't look in hugely bad condition but of course that's just based on those photos that we're looking at right now at the resting point off in the grass at the uh, beyond the end of the runway Uh, But that's an awfully – you know, Boeing makes a really beefy airplane, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised, um, even at the age of this thing. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if it was a consideration to maybe try to fix it, put some – slap some new engines on it. I don't know. Or maybe it's because it's so old and – as we know from vehicles, you know uh, the insurance company may go. Eh, nope, that's totaled. You go. Well, no, it's. it's it? pro- I can drive the car. No, it's, it's totaled. It's go automatic. out and buy a new one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah.
3: Exactly. Uh, let's see. Let's go on to. This one, this is an interesting one, sent to us by um, APG community member uh, Becky, Rebecca Saylor, who is a flight attendant. Um, this is from the HuffPost.com. Uh, and the headline is, uh, these pilots were sued for, qu- no, I guess the headline would be, pilots say airline was dangerous to work for. These pilots were sued for quitting. They say it was dangerous uh, to stay. A small airline has uh, taken roughly 80 former pilots to court over training debts. In interviews, many cited safety concerns as the reason that they left. Uh, As a new commercial pilot, Nate Hilliard, and are we looking at Mr. Nate? No, Uh, there he is. There's Nate Hilliard, uh, came to Southern Airways Express two years ago with no illusions. He knew the commuter airline's starting pay for a first officer, the co-pilot next to the captain. Oh, thank you. Uh, was just twelve dollars per hour. That's wow. <laughs> wow, less than he could earn behind a fast food counter. But he figured he would pay his dues, Golly. rack up fight flight time, and someday sit in the captain's seat. I get he could probably sit in the captain's seat before the captain gets there. Gets there, but then he's going to make a move, <laughs> uh,
2: perhaps at a major yeah. carrier
3: like Delta. Uh, he and his girlfriend moved from Denver to Western Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania to be near the tiny airport where. Hilliard would be based, prepared to burn through their savings in pursuit of his pilot dream. They called it their Year of Suck. (laughs) That's another good show title. (laughs) Uh, You slog through it and make it happen because you know there are better things on the other side, the 39-year-old said. Uh, But as his uh, experience in the cockpit grew, so did his concerns with the way he says Southern operates. And uh, let's see, he said that uh, he saw pilots with only limited experience being pressured to fly in poor weather so that the flights wouldn't be held up. He saw managers discouraging pilots from flagging maintenance issues that could have taken the aircraft out of commission for repairs. And he believes many pilots were afraid to raise their safety concerns because they could end up literally indebted to Southern. If they wanted to work there, uh, pilots must sign contracts and promissory notes guarding against early resignations. They can be sued if they quit or get fired for cause before flying for a full year after graduating to captain. Depending on their level of of experience and how long they stay, pilots could be on the hook for up to $20,000 if they leave. The threat of litigation is real. Since July, Southern has filed roughly 80 lawsuits against pilots who left the company, accusing them of breach of contract and unjust enrichment, according to a review of Florida court records. The Palm uh, Beach-based airline has only a few dozen aircraft and around 300 pilots. Um, Hilliard, who spent 13 years in the airline industry before becoming a pilot, said he accepted the low-pay because he was eager to accrue flight time. But he said that the unsafe practices, he alleges, were not part of the deal. Uh, He said there's a lot of pressure to get passengers where they're going in potentially questionable weather or with questionable maintenance. People are pressured to go, and they don't have the experience you'd find on uh, larger jet flight decks. And then the article continues uh, kind of uh, enumerating several cases where pilots weren't – Sticking around long enough to uh, pay back their um, their agreement or 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 complete their agreement uh, regarding the money uh, owed to southern if they left before they were supposed to. Um, yeah, uh, this is you know this is one of the dangers of um, the current situation we're in because people will do almost anything to. Get the experience that, that's necessary to get on with a uh, with a regional airline and then a major airline, and uh, uh, you know I, I I see both sides of this kind of thing. I can kind of see the companies. Well, I mean, this is the deal. On, on the other hand, um, you know, if there are really uh, safety issues uh, and being forced to fly in conditions where. You know they're they're unsafe. Uh, then I can see you know that aspect of it as well. What do you all think here?
5: Yeah, there's a great uh, you know wish to get into the industry, and uh, I hate to say it, but uh, there are airlines out there to take advantage of uh, pilots who are desperate for the hours, desperate for a job, knowing that it is uh, the first step on the ladder that'll get them to somewhere decent um but uh of course you know 12 dollars an hour is a ludicrous uh amount of money um particularly in the current climate when there is apparently a pilot shortage i hope these guys have managed to come up with more than just their own Uh, um, opinions on whether it's there are safe practices or not Um, and they've managed to document uh, occurrences that they'll be able to use in court because otherwise it you know he he said she said it all becomes a bit difficult Um, but I uh, I feel for them I really do Um, but uh, you know and on the other hand you've got to say that um, I doubt that a little airline this could uh, like this could keep going uh, if they if they didn't keep their overheads way low uh, and you know a job flying is uh, better than being out of work uh, because your airlines can bust it's it's a difficult one Jeff
3: it is what do you think Camacho
6: yeah I mean I'm kind of torn on this one uh, to me it almost feels like two separate or yeah, it doesn't feel like to me. It seems like two separate issues, right? The uh, in my mind, airplane safety is like there's just a clear delineation whether something is safe or something is not safe, and a pilot should not be a uh, pilot should not feel more justified taking action against a safety item um, uh, because of how he's paid, right? So you know, kind of tying these two issues together uh, clouds the arguments of both sides, I think. Um, I, I just feel like a lot of people are seeing or a lot of people would think uh, the airline is has incredibly low pay rates and is trying to take advantage of these people and therefore the safety aspects that are brought up uh, are more likely to be true. And, you know, I assume that most of these people uh, knowingly accepted the job and the um, clauses in the training contracts, you know, knowing the outcome. Like, they maybe they didn't know about the safety aspects that they're bringing up now, right? Didn't know that they were going to have to fly in certain conditions that they didn't want to, but, you know, knew that they'd be making $12 an hour for a year or two and then... $17 an hour or whatever it said. And so it kind of seems like uh, there's a employment issue and a safety issue that are two separate items at hand here. Uh, I did find in another article this a note that said uh, earlier this year, the Federal Trade Commission proposed a historic ban on non-compete agreements, which would outlaw companies from preventing their workers from taking jobs at competing firms but there are several major fields, including the airline industry, where the FTC may not have the authority to implement it. Yeah. Let me read. Yeah. <laughs> the Federal Trade Commission recently issued a pr- r- proposed rule that would effectively ban non-compete agreements, after which bar workers from taking uh, jobs with competitors for a certain period after leaving a firm. The independent agency's proposal would include training repayment provisions as part of the ban but the FTC does not have jurisdiction over aviation firms. They fall under the department of transportation, which I thought was kind of interesting. I do think when you look at the outlay of cash or capital that it takes to train someone, whether it's in an aviation field or in, um, any industry, I, I I do think that it is reasonable for the company to expect some form of, uh, repayment or, uh, compensation for that. Right. Uh, You know, like if I were to work for an engineering firm that helped me, help me pay for a master's degree or something like that, I, I don't think it is irrational for them to expect me to work for them for a year or two or however long to allow them to see some benefit from that, um, effort or money that they put into it.
3: Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the reason why we have in the military, uh, at least in the in the United States Air Force, that, uh, you know, after having uh, spent millions of dollars uh, in my training, undergraduate pilot training, they expected me to uh, live out a commitment of uh, six full years at that time. And that is subst- uh, subsequently increased to over 10, maybe over 11 uh, years now. I'm not sure after you get your uh, wings and you're fully trained Air Force pilots. So they're, they just try, they're trying to get their investment what is it? Return on investment ROI. Right.
6: Mm-hmm. And I, the other thing I was going to ask you is I, I would hope that there is no uh, thought or concern of them um, not reporting or kind of avoiding some of these safety issues because they'd be concerned of uh, retaliation in the industry at other places they would try to go work Would that. Would that have any bearing on their thought process? Like, would they think, "Oh, I'm going to be labeled as a difficult employee" or anything like that?
3: I I wouldn't think so, uh, but I, I don't know. I don't know. I know enough about the uh, current situation when it comes to that that sort of thing. I do know that if they've had issues with their training records and and uh, you know yeah. passing check rides and that kind of thing, are uh, is something that the uh, next um, Uh, potential employer will have access to now, which is good. Uh, But as far as, um, you know, like references as far as, oh, this person, you know, is not reliable and they're not going to fly for you if it's raining or, you know, obviously that's an exaggeration, but um, I don't know. That's a a good question that you pose there, Camacho. Uh,
6: The other thing I was going to say is I'm a little shocked that uh, they've been able to even stay in business this long. Uh, you know, cause like when I was graduating from college, the pay situation was horrible at companies like this. That was pre pilot shortage and all the issues we're going through now. But, uh, my recollection was back in 2009, 2010 timeframe, the regionals were paying like 26 to $32,000 a year. Uh, and I know that, um, I know that the way that you guys bookkeep your hours is different because a normal full time job, right, is forty hours a week, and you guys obviously mm-hmm. don't fly that. But I'm assuming this twelve dollars per hour is approximately based on that that sort of workload, and uh, you know that twenty eight to thirty two thousand dollars at like SkyWest and places like that has turned into like seventy to ninety thousand dollars. Uh, at a lot of those more uh, well-known regionals, so um, I'm amazed. I guess what I'm saying is, I'm amazed that they've been able to continue operating with their pay scale uh, as is right now with the current pilot situation.
3: Yeah, I, I think that in order to fly for a company like this, that well, I'm, I'm implying from the uh, article that uh, they don't. You don't have to have a uh, ATP. A full uh, airline transport pilot certificate. Oh, um, so I think that you can get on with a company like this um, at a much lower. Uh, okay. and I, correct me if I'm wrong. Those of you, I, I think we have several uh, people in our live audience right now who have come up through, um, you know, small commuter
6: airlines. Yeah, and that now kind that of you thing. mentioned that, it's it's less than 19 passengers, right? And I yeah. think the threshold is maybe 19 passengers. I think you're right, and
3: and because of that, that's a great way. If you don't have any, you know, enough experience to even get on with a with a commuter airline or regional, um, that this is the way a lot of people get it. Along yeah, with being okay. CFIs and flying aerial photography and all those other uh, types. Uh, Okay, so UH Blackhawk in the uh audience says yeah yep yeah, that's the case. So I I think that that's, you know, kind of a way to get your foot in the door and uh, several people in this article um interviewed said that, you know, they understood what the what the deal was. It's but they what they didn't bargain for was the fact that uh, this company was allegedly uh, being operated uh not very safely uh, right. in conditions that weren't appropriate. And so yeah, you're kind of between a rock and a hard place. I say, uh, with this particular situation, uh, regionals now require fifteen hundred hours ATP. These uh, places two hundred and fifty. Yeah, I thought the two hundred and fifty hours mm-hmm. was the uh, was the requirement to get on with. Uh,
6: so this so this job is basically on par with like a time building CFI or aerial survey type of job. Right, and a lot
3: you know a lot of people would say, well, there are a lot of Industries out there where you sometimes you just have to basically work for free, like as an intern, an unpaid intern to get experience, get your foot in the door, like um, like uh, the radio and television industry. I think that's the case, I think Um, not always. Uh APG crew, yes. APG crew. <laughs> it's definitely, Liz is saying, uh you have to work as Indeed. interns for a, you know lo- very, very long hours for no pay for quite a long time, <laughs> like forever. <laughs> <laughs> Just to yep. get to your foot in the door. Um <laughs> that's enough of you. Um I'm gonna cut your pay in half, Liz. Okay. Um <laughs> okay.
5: She doesn't seem to mind at all. <laughs> no. Okay, <whatever>. <laughs> All <laughs> uh, right, let's get to know us.
3: Our segment where we get to know what everybody's been up to uh, between shows. And uh, that's the OG getting to know you um, oh, yeah, illustration. No, that's good. I, I, I was it brought back <laughs> memories. There we go. Um so anyway, um let's see Nick Camacho, um how is everything going with the uh, the the whole um airplane new engine kind of replacement saga going?
6: Uh continuing to make some progress. Okay. Um would be able to make a lot more progress if I didn't have a real job. Ah Those darn things get in the way of everything. Seriously getting in the way. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so uh, I've got all the baffling in place. At this point, the engine's basically ready to go in the airplane from the engine standpoint. Uh, Now I'm working on the uh, engine compartment. Uh, So I'm cleaning up the engine compartment. Uh, There were a couple of uh, minor issues in the structure. Uh, that I'm working on, I had, there were a couple of cracks, so I had to, uh, fabricate some patches to put in there to, uh, repair a few cracks that are hard to get to or hard to even see really when the engine's in, um, cutting a bunch of the, um, old baffle structure out of the nose of the airplane. Um, so yeah, slowly but surely making progress. My dad took my propeller down to a prop shop in Oklahoma uh to have it flushed the uh one of the unfortunate aspects of the the timing of this situation was that i had a fairly low had fairly low time on a lot of my accessories uh but i've talked to a couple of people including the continental factory uh and pretty much everyone has told me um yeah you probably don't need to do anything to your propeller or your accessories or whatever but if you have any issues with the airplane um, and you haven't, uh, so like my propeller, I'm flushing and I ironing my propeller. And they said, if you don't do that, uh, then it could cause some heartburn with the warranty situation. And I just mm-hmm. thought, yeah, it's probably not worth the hassle to save.
5: Forgive me, Nick. Uh, how do you flush a propeller? I, I know how to do lots of things in aviation, but that's one that's gone over my head.
6: Uh, yeah, so I guess they, I don't actually know either. So uh, <laughs> I'm going to have I'm, a really I'm, big toilet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm going back down to pick the propeller up hopefully next week, and I'm going to chat with them and see. But uh, it, it entails taking the uh, hub dome off the propeller and um, looking at everything, cleaning out all the internals. So, you know, the propeller, the way the propeller works, there's like a piston in there that's driven by oil pressure, and then it has some um, gearing that that piston is kind of geared to the blades. This is very basic, right? The piston is geared to the blades and there's a spring and that's how they operate. And so they're taking the cap off and they're replacing some seals and um, putting eyeballs on things in there, but not doing a overhaul, which would require them to completely disassemble it. Measure, grind, repaint everything, and and do some. Do so more he's work.
3: basically implying gotcha. that if you if you didn't do some of these things that are, aren't really compulsory, but yeah, if something goes wrong and that ha- somehow is connected to or affects your nicely rebuilt engine, then maybe mm-hmm. our, our warranty is not going to cover it.
6: Yeah, and it, especially with the propeller and the governor, because those are uh, direct; those have direct oil yeah. oil flow paths to the engine. Um, you know, so the generally when you're changing an engine, if you have issues with it, like if you have metal going through it or whatever, oh my you know, God. that's you, a, how
5: much did you pay for that engine? So <laughs> you got ripped dreadful. off. did not they
6: give you one that uh, was at least clean? Um, yeah. So I, I built the, I built the stand for the engine for people who are listening. I, we have a picture of my little engine stand and, uh, I, uh, I was test fitting so this engine if you'll notice this engine has like angled mounts on it that are well above the bottom of the sump so one issue we ran into when we were disassembling it is there's no good way to set the engine on anything horizontally so i made this stand and i was test fitting this stand uh, with my old engine on it and i sent this picture to one of my friends and he made a simile. <laughs> He made a similar comment to Captain Nick and I (laughs) said, uh, you know, the beauty of this is this is probably the only time in my life that I will be able to, uh, use an engine that has, uh, there's absolutely no negative impact. Uh, no matter what I do, I drop it, do anything (laughs) because of, you know, I think I've mentioned it previously, but I, I'm, I have a, there's a clause called core amnesty where I don't have to send back a good core. Um so not that I would want to, but you know, in the off chance that I were to break something, drop this case or do something, um, it wouldn't really affect me. So I said I got to so play around to, a little bit.
5: Just to make to clarify, that's the old one.
6: That's the old engine case. Oh, okay, yeah. Right. So okay. <laughs> yeah, that's that's uh and I think the crankshafts in there. Um but yeah, there's Quite a few bits missing, as Captain Nick mentioned. Uh, here's the new. Here's the new engine. <laughs> that one looks a lot better. Wow, <laughs> all That's the bits shiny. installed. It is, and Ooh. my wife. So it's it's an aluminum case and an aluminum. You know the the uh, cylinders have uh, steel barrels, steel barrel bases, and aluminum heads, and so all the aluminum bits are. Um allodyned and so they're kind of gold looking for those of you who can see the picture and my wife walked in who unfortunately unfortunately she knows you know she's been very much in the loop on all this stuff so she knows how much it costs and she walked in and she just said man no wonder it costs so much money there's gold all over that engine <laughs> it's made <laughs> out of gold i said well at least you can understand i love it <laughs> yeah it is so, pretty yep And then uh, these are the red and white bits here are the baffles that I talked about last time. Those are the... uh, So basically what's going on here is, you know, you drop the engine in the the, um, engine compartment. And yeah, and all of these sheet metal and rubber bits uh, direct the airflow from the front of the airplane to go down through the uh, fins on the cylinder. And that's what provides the engine cooling. So if you just put the engine in the airplane without any baffles or anything, the intakes on the front of the airplane would allow air to blow through, but that air would basically blow right over the top and bottom of the engine, back to the firewall, hit the firewall, and go down, which is uh, uh very inefficient. That's so that's kind of how like the uh, old that's how old uh, radial engine cooling worked. Like the Spirit of St. Louis, if you ever look at the Spirit of St. Louis or like Stearman's big uh, round motor airplanes that don't have cowlings. They're using what's called velocity cooling. And so they're just using the airflow, um, the velocity of the air over the cylinders. This is actually called pressure cooling. And basically what's happening is all the air that comes in the cowling uh, is captured by all these baffles and it creates a higher pressure up here. So um, the high pressure then goes through all of the cooling fins and everything of the engine. And it makes sure that, all of the hot, thinned areas uh, get access to cooling air rather than just velocity airflow, which just kind of goes over the path of least resistance. This doesn't exactly, I wouldn't exactly call it forcing the air into all the little places it needs to go, but this is closer to forcing the air where you want it than, than velocity cooling.
5: Despite all this sophisticated ducting to get the air where you need it, uh, Nick, is there a noticeable difference in the cylinder head temperatures of the first cylinder to get the air and the last.
6: Oh yeah. Yep. Oh, okay. And there have been um so this kit that I'm showing, this is actually a STC or a aftermarket baffle kit. So this is a, a a much more efficient um baffling system than the than the factory baffling system that I took off. There's another one that uses um that has like a hose right right about in the middle of right in front of that cylinder nearest to us I guess that actually ducks air directly to the rear left cylinder um and so that was another way they got around that you'll notice in this engine on the on the far side of the picture uh I have an oil cooler in the front of my engine so some of the uh some of the big bore continentals have the oil cooler behind the last cylinder my oil cooler's in front of the front cylinder so Um, generally I have the back two cylinders are very hot. And then that front cylinder on the far side of the picture also gets, uh, reasonably hot because not only does it not get as much cooling flow directly impacting the cylinder, but it's also getting some warmer air as the air flows through that heat exchanger for the oil. Okay.
5: Interesting.
3: Interesting. Very complicated.
4: Neil is baffled.
3: Yeah. Uh, we have somebody in our audience who is very baffled by this whole situation. Um, Neil Landmore. I'm glad that he changed his name back to something that I could pronounce this week. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, uh, Maren uh, says, where's the uh, beer cooler? Probably in the passenger compartment, right? Uh, Not the beer the- cooler? Yeah. Well, are they because you have an oil cooler. Um and oh, then if you yeah, had yeah. if you had like a little beer tap kind of thing in the back of the airplane in the passenger compartment, you have, probably have some kind of a beer cooling uh, radiator true. kind of system in the front. I don't know. Yep, not sure. Um, all right. Wow. So it's 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 getting there. So what what's the what are the next steps here, uh, Nick?
6: Uh, so I've just got to finish uh, the couple of little repairs to the engine compartment, and then. Um, Cleaning up the engine compartment and that's kind of a subjective thing, right? Like I don't actually have to, none of that, the repairs have to happen. None of the cleaning actually has to happen. So I could just put the engine back in, but it's, Mm. uh, it would be hard for me to do that because I'm not, I'm hoping to not take this engine out for the next 15 or so years. Right. Uh, so I'd like to kind of get everything looking nice and looking the way I want it on this go around. Sweet.
3: You can always go around you can yep. you can yes good point okay um, anything else going on with your life other than this um, this big
6: project um, uh, engine. I, well, I, I think uh, uh, I think I'm going to be heading on a work trip possibly next week so uh, I don't know if I'll be able to join you or not okay uh, during that period but mm-hmm. uh, yeah All that's right. uh, that's about it I think excellent.
3: All right. Thanks, uh, Camacho. Um, Captain Nick, um, how have you been, sir?
5: Uh, I've been keeping uh, well, thank you. Um, You know, my hobbies uh, include uh, dog photography. Well, I've just finished a photo shoot uh, for a client uh, and um, came back with uh, some reasonable results, I think. Uh, She took us to a a, a nice... um, Area of uh, common land that uh, we hadn't been to before, so it was actually really nice down there. So, we're going to use that more often. Um, and uh, generally speaking, just had fun. Our three were also involved, (laughs) they spent most of their time photo bombing. (laughs) <laughs> That's but, not frustrating at all. Uh, no, not at all. Just when you think you got the perfect picture, all of a sudden a ginger ninja pitches up in the middle. Anyway, Do we have any, was, uh, was any really of those <laughs>
3: photos of the fo- photo bombing in, in your collection uh, there?
5: No, no, sadly not. No, <laughs> no. I instantly deleted those. Ah. Uh-huh. Yeah, afraid so. Um, so uh, that was uh, that was. I I'm, I'm can't. I can't see myself doing much more of dog photography. Uh, it's just a, a bit um, hard on the knees, and I've mm. mentioned it before. Really, and uh, getting down to take decent shots—that's that's the easy bit. Getting up again afterwards is not easy. <laughs> so, <Yeah. It's laughs> I think going my time is not a, going up. Yeah, my time as a dog photographer might be limited, but uh, we'll we'll see. Um, The bowling went well. I uh, did a a trial for uh, Hampshire County indoors, um, and uh, that was down at a a club on the south coast, and uh, that seemed to go quite well. Already got an invitation to play for the county uh, next week, so uh, that's good. I'm looking forward to getting some of those. Games, uh in the future because you know it's it's nice it's a much higher standard than uh, club uh games uh, and uh you know you, you learn a lot more so uh, looking forward to that the only problem is i'll have to buy another damn shirt <laughs> the, the number of uniform shirts i've i've had to buy over the years i could i could stock my own shop now <laughs>
3: Do they they don't they don't supply that to you, huh? You have to.
5: No, you got to pay, pay for, for that. that. You got to you yeah. got to pitch up and buy one. Uh, but there you go. Uh, but uh, it's it's still quite nice. They they're pretty formal these county matches. You know, you pitch up in your blazer, and, uh, and there's usually a meal afterwards and speeches and things. So uh, that's um, that's quite good fun if you like that sort of thing. And you do. Uh, I sometimes I do. (laughs) It's a bit of a rubber chicken meal usually, but not to
6: worry. Uh,
4: Does Nick want to talk about last week's cover art before you go, Jeff? Yeah, why
3: don't we uh, talk about last week's cover art? Oh, well, that was an easy one last week. Should I have one,
4: or should I just put mine up?
3: Uh, Just put yours up, uh, Liz. There we go. Uh, Excellent.
5: Um, So that that was was, uh, I love it. Yeah, that good. I'm glad. (laughs) It was a really easy one to do because, of course, we had two guests from uh, Plain Talking uh, UK podcast. Uh, so uh, I just uh, plagiarized their um, logos uh, and their um, font and how they write their um, their podcast name and put us in the middle being attacked and uh, overcome by, you know, numerous um Little aeroplanes from uh, PT UK. And we, of course, changed the name slightly, so it became Plane Takeover UK uh, Podcast, so uh, uh, I thought that was a bit of fun. As
3: opposed to the plane talking, it's a plane
5: takeover. Yeah, I love it. Exactly, (laughs) yeah. So that was good. And for those of you uh, who hunt the uh, show number, that won't be hard to find, because uh, on the little black nose of three of those airplanes, you'll find a quite clear white number. Oh. And uh, our logo is just peeping out from behind the cartoon, the blue circle cartoon. there. Yeah, go. up there so toward
3: the top of that cumulonimbus cloud.
5: Up there. Indeed. Right up yeah. There, yeah. Cool. So that was fun. That was an easy one. It didn't take me... Uh, well, actually, it did take me a little while because I had to find decent versions of their logos. Uh, you wow. know, most people p- produce just little logos, mm-hmm. which are tiny, which is no good for something that it needs to be quite a big picture. So uh, eventually <laughs> I found what I needed.
3: Yes. Very good. All right. Thanks, Nick. Jeffrey. Uh, so, of course, I've been doing my typical. Um, I'm singing. Kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, last weekend. <laughs> Um. That's it, really, for me. Okay. Um, Cool. Well, uh, let's see. It's coffee fun time, and uh, this is where we uh, sing along with Jeff Smith. Oh, I was waiting for uh, Liz to do that, but I'm the one that has to push the button. All right, here we go. Johnny,
1: how much more coffee? No thanks
5: love
2: coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea and the
0: java
3: and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. A cup. Oh, yeah. The APG Coffee Fund. It's your way, dear listener, to uh, support the show financially if you have the financial resources to do so and and you feel like you know we deserve it um and a couple of ways to do that one is called the coffee fund classic method and it's essentially a one-off two-off whenever you feel like giving us money kind of a platform you can also do recurring uh, recurring payments on that as well um and since the last show uh an- another very nice contribution from mazutz uh, karim uh who was in the chat room. I don't know if he's still there or not, but uh, thank you, Mazuts. As always, we uh, Dr. Kareem is a, has been a faithful supporter of our show. And uh, the other way to support us uh, and be part of the Coffee Fund cadre is to become a patron of our show via patreon.com. And we have, yay, a new producer, one uh, new producer named Glenn Fong. So thank you, Glenn, for signing up, uh, our newest uh, patron uh, via Patreon. So, hey, if you're interested in learning how you, too, can become part of this whole deal, head over to AirlinePilotGuy.com slash coffee. You'll be glad you did. We will, too.
1: Captain, incoming message.
3: Okay, let's start off with this feedback from Texas Atlas shock uh, Greetings, Captain Jeff and APG crew. Well, I'm flattered, but I'm hardly an expert on small museums. I'm just in a position where I get around a lot. That's what we've heard there, Texas Atlas shock and cam, I come across them more often than most people. The ones I've written in about are just the ones that have to do with aviation. I haven't said anything about the Northeastern Nevada Museum, the White Pine Public Museum, or the Northern Nevada Railway Museum. But now he's going to tell us about the Northeastern Nevada. Uh, wait a minute. One is the Northern Nevada, and now he's talking about the Northeastern Nevada Museum. Are those two different ones, Texas and Leshock? Um, Anyway, uh, it does have a one tangential connection to aviation, sort of. In one of their galleries, they have a balloon basket hanging from the ceiling. When I asked about it, none of the staff knew why it was there. (laughs) Just it had probably been put there to get it out of the way. Uh, It most likely has some kind of significance, but they'd have to find the book that recorded it to know for sure. Uh, Just one little curiosity they have there. Uh, But there are others. Often in uh, very buildings, they are built into. Okay, so let me read that sentence again. I think I butchered it. Just one little curiosity they have there, but there are others. Often in very buildings, offer... Uh, what am I doing wrong with that sentence, Liz?
4: Often in?
3: Often in... The
4: very buildings?
3: The very buildings they are built into? Okay. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, let me, let me do that. That, that sh- sounds like it works better. Okay. Just one little curiosity they have there, but there are others. Often in the very buildings they are built into. Okay. The Railway Museum occupies the former depot and still has the workshop where locomotives continue to be maintained in operating condition. I had the thought recently that maybe I should start a podcast of my own to cover some of these places, their histories, purposes, and give them a little attention if I can. I think of a lot of things that I should do, but then wind up not doing. Yeah, I have that same problem. Part of it is the same reason I never send in audio messages. I hate the sound of my voice when it's recorded. Well, Texas, the way you get over that is just to do it. And then the more you listen to yourself talking, the more you get used to hearing your voice (laughs) and you get over it. Um, Okay, back to Texas, Texas and shocks feedback. In the meantime, something a little easier to do is in the link I sent for a map I put together with locations of various aviation points of interest. Currently, I have it categorized into major museums, small museums, aircraft on display, memorials, sites, and miscellaneous. I'm thinking that small museums should actually be something like minor museums because some— like the Mid-America Air Museum in Liberal Kansas, have rather sizable collections, close to 100 in that case, if I recall. And then there's the Battleship Alabama aircraft collection. Again, fairly fairly sizable, but the main draw there is Alabama herself, the Battleship. The distinction between large and small can get a little fuzzy, depending on what metrics you're using. If you have any thoughts, I'd be interested in hearing them. Okay, folks, audience, if you have any uh, ideas for... Texas and Le shock and the way he can organize these things, uh, that'd be great. Um, he also gave us a link to his uh, his map, his Google map, uh, with the various uh, museums and sites and that kind of thing. Um, he said, I got the idea from the airplane geeks, eat at the airport map. Started wondering how difficult it was to put those together. So here's my attempt at it. If nothing else, maybe it can be helpful to Captain Jeff's RVing. Exactly. Yeah, Absolutely. I have something to Oh, that would be a great idea. To. Yeah.
5: Spend You're the have to next add some 20 more. years yeah, visiting museums. Too.
3: Yeah, that's right. I can contribute it. Tribute to it as well. That uh well, that would be a lot of fun. All right, very good. Uh, thank you Texas and LaShock signing off he says and uh, and in the same theme of museums, we received some feedback from Sam Uh, best aviation museums in the U S. And, uh, so we're going to go ahead and play this audio feedback from Sam.
1: Hi guys. I'm Sam short time listener. Definitely going to be subscribing to you guys. Um, for people who are generally interested in aviation, um, who aren't pilots, but have
2: basically are AV geeks. Um, where in the country would you recommend best for them to visit for museums and whatnot? I'm looking going to Dallas next month, so definitely looking at the uh, American Airlines Museum, all the museums down there. But looking at other places in the country
1: where there are different aviation museums,
2: um, what would you recommend? What would you think is best? Thanks, guys.
3: All right, Sam. Uh, the first thing I'd recommend is getting in touch with uh, Texas and Leshock. <laughs> Because uh, as, you know, we just read his feedback about uh, museums and it uh, seems like uh, every show, every other show, whatever, he is kind of telling us a little bit about uh, some kind of a gem, some kind of a museum somewhere regarding uh, or having to do with aviation. Um, so, uh, yeah, maybe we can put the two of these folks together, Liz, sure. Um, somehow. Sure, yeah, I can do it. Um, but I would say, and I think I heard you say, Liz, in, in the control room uh, audio, that uh, the U.S. Air Force has a pretty slick little museum up in Dayton, Ohio. Um, I guess it's called the U.S. Air Force. Um, what is it called? The U.S. Air Love Force it. Museum?
6: National um, Museum of the U.S. Air Force.
3: Ah, that's it. Ding 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 ding. Okay, let's see what we're do. You
6: Here know, you'd expect someone
5: who was in the US Air force to know that. It's been
3: you? a long time. <laughs> it's been a long time. It was in the eighties, you know, before the turn of the century. Long before the turn of the century.
5: Well, I, I know that the, the RAF museum's called the RAF Museum.
3: Well,
5: oh, well you're a lot <laughs> smarter than I am. <laughs> <laughs> your, your
3: brain cells aren't deteriorating <laughs> as rapidly as mine.
5: Yeah, oh, uh, poor Jeff.
3: <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no. Okay. Let's get back to the subject at hand. Yeah, okay. So Stop Dayton, nagging, in Liz Dayton, Ohio. Yeah. Yeah, State in Ohio. Um, yeah, so yeah, the aer- the uh, Air- the American Airlines Museum would be great. Um, I'm thinking that. Uh, oh
6: yeah, Udvar-Hazy and uh, Dulles uh, at the Dulles International Airport. And yeah. There, so yeah. there's actually two. There's the Smithsonian, right? There's like the main Smithsonian. Yeah. Air museum and Udvar-Hazy, mm-hmm. which are not. They're not super close to each other, but if you're in or near Washington D.C., probably worth hitting both of them. Yep. Um,
4: does, Delta, there so many... does Delta Airlines, your sister airline, have a
3: museum? Oh yeah, the my uh, sister airline, um, Delta Airlines, uh, has a museum in uh, Atlanta. If you happen to be at the Atlanta International Airport, um, I was. There were a couple of others that I was. That came to mind and now because of that, Oh, there's one
5: I mentioned at the beginning of the show. We were having a chat, wasn't it? The Cradle of Aviation Museum on Long Island in the area called Uniondale uh, near the Coliseum. And um, they, it, it is an award-winning um, small museum because of the quality of the exhibits and how well it's laid out. Uh, and they, it's a really fantastic set of buildings as well, as well as being on a very historic site.
4: It's actually in so Garden City. Um, in
5: Garden City. On
4: Charles um, Lindbergh
5: Boulevard. Charles Lindbergh Boulevard
3: there on oh, okay. Long Island.
5: Well done, staff. Yes. Thanks, staff.
3: Um <laughs> Let's see what else. Oh, I was thinking, um, Wichita, uh, where uh, Camacho lives and is uh, broadcasting from house? right now, has his house has a great museum. <laughs> <laughs> the, there's
6: a, there's that a really good and old, and old engine in there trying to keep flying. Yeah,
3: yeah. There's a there, yeah. There's a <laughs> hangar at the uh, Stearman um, Airfield. Yeah, uh, where there's a quite a collection of aviation history. <laughs>
6: Uh, I will say, I'd, old engine parts. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, exciting, right? uh, I didn't catch. I didn't catch, uh, or I wasn't. I guess paying enough attention to him to to hear if he was going all over the U.S. I heard him. I heard him mention the American Airlines Museum, but mm-hmm. um, there is, you know, if he is coming to Kansas, uh, the Cosmosphere, which we've talked about in the past, is really cool. Uh, is a really cool space museum. There's not very much aviation. Mm -hmm. Uh, any like, uh, not a ton of suborbital aviation. There's a little bit of world war II stuff in there, but, uh, the Cosmosphere is really cool. Another one that came to mind that I am incredibly bitter that I have not got to see is the, uh, Naval Aviation Museum, which is down in Pensacola. Oh, yeah. That's supposed to be almost on par with oh, the date museum. You mm-hmm. can find the bird dog from one of my early yeah. yes correct. The bird dog landed on the aircraft carrier. Absolutely, uh, they have yeah. all sorts of really cool airplanes there. Uh, I had multiple work trips down to Destin, which is like right around the corner from Pensacola, and they kept that freaking museum closed for like three years <laughs> after COVID. <laughs> oh, no. But I think they just in the last couple of months have reopened it to the public. We so have lots oh, of okay. questions in the
3: chat um, room here. That would yeah, really we have a is. lot of folks in our uh, live audience is uh, giving us some or giving Sam some suggestions. Wright Pat Air Force Base, of course, that's the U.S. Air Force Museum, um, and Edwards Air Force Base, yeah, out in California. Um, the Yankee Air Museum at Willow Run, um, Dover Air Force Base has the AMC Museum open to the public. And uh, Maine Marin says, we have a nice little museum at Owls Airport in Maine Owlshead Transportation Museum. Okay. Go ahead. And uh, Old Rhinebeck has the oldest flying airplane in the U.S. Wow. What's that? A mad dog? Uh, yeah. <laughs> 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 but you, bam. That's <laughs> funny.
6: Yeah. He has got one uh, in the U.K. <laughs> <laughs> RAF
3: Harrington is a brilliant little museum for a special uh, uh, for special operations in World War II. We know also, we
6: know that's yeah. not true because Nick already told us that all the RAF museums are just called the RAF <laughs> Museum. That's <laughs> very true. true. <laughs> yes,
5: <laughs> indeed. Uh,
6: I, right. I was just also going to say, super quick, uh, on the West Coast you can basically just like go up the coast and hit a whole bunch of uh, really cool museums. The San Diego has a air and space museum. That's really good. Uh, they have the USS midway that is on the water somewhere there in San Diego. That's really good. And then up in the LA area, they have the, uh, science center, which has a bunch of space stuff, has a, has one of the decommissioned space shuttles, uh, Chino, the planes of family museum in Chino and Yanks air museum in Chino are two like world-class, uh, collections of airplanes that are both on the same airport uh paso robles which is where we keep betsy's biscuit bomber we have a pretty good yeah. museum there of uh static and a few flying airplanes and then um up in alameda there's also a uh navy floating airplane. uh navy ship that they have a bunch of good
5: a floating Navy ship, as opposed to all the uh, other ones. Not, well, no, it's a, it's a
6: decommissioned, decommissioned carrier, <laughs> and we flew over it. And I cannot remember the name of it right now, well, two, which one oh, it was.
4: and Ram's got one here.
6: Oh, the, uh, that's, that's what it is. is the USS that the Hornet,
3: Hornet? Yeah. in uh, San yeah, Francisco. Well, what about the intrepid? In I New York actually, York? Uh, when I was a cub scout, oh yeah, intrepid uh, the, in New York. The Hornet was uh, was um, not parked. What do you call it when the boat comes up Nerves. and they dock? Uh, it was in oh, port yeah. at. Uh, I think that's it was its home port. I think at the time back in the seventies. I think early or late sixties, early seventies. Uh, USS Hornet um, and uh, our little boy scout or cub scout group got a. Oh. Got a full tour, and I think it was actually still still in service at the at that time.
4: What about up in then. Seattle? Isn't there stuff up
3: in, in Seattle? In Seattle? There's nothing in
5: Seattle. Yeah, you don't want to go there <laughs> no. well, I have indeed actually been to the what is it, the the Boeing no something flight museum. I forget what it's called. Museum, museum of Flight. Of maybe, yeah. Museum of Flight, yeah. I, and actually I was thoroughly impressed really, really well. Laid out museum, and the nice thing was, Boeing hadn't renamed all the sort of Donald Douglas um, F eighteen. They hadn't named it the renamed it the Boeing F eighteen. So I I gave, took my hat off to them for <laughs> for that, so that. They didn't crow about having bought out the various companies. No,
3: it's good good museum that one. Yeah. Oh, the USS Hornet. According to Tim Van Ram, USS Hornet has Neil Armstrong's first steps back on Earth. Painted on its flight deck.
5: Oh, uh, well, the next time yeah. you come to visit me, uh, Micah, I'll take you down to HMS Victory, and you can see the brass plaque where that's Nelson.
4: That's Tim
5: Van Ram, not Micah. Oh, yeah, sorry, a... Tim. All right. Hey, so when see Nelson Sam. Fell, Sam, don't. look what you've done. Look what. Look at the can <laughs> of whatever you want to call this. <laughs> exactly. You've opened. Words. Uh, By the way, did we get to the Intrepid Museum uh, on the aircraft carrier uh, in New York? In uh, New York City, yeah. There's a Concorde there, which has become the fanciest cafe awning you'll ever see. Hmm.
3: I don't know how they landed that thing on that uh, carrier deck. That's pretty impressive.
5: Uh, Yeah, they uh, put a big hook on the back.
3: Ah,
4: Are there gotcha. any like NASA museums down in Houston um, or anything? Or? I
3: would imagine there are. Liz, she's asking about NASA museums, possibly in the Houston area. Houston, we have a problem. Well, of course, Cape Kennedy, um,
0: Cape
3: Canaveral, I think. Yeah. yeah, lots of stuff. Hey, you know, we could spend the next three hours talking about all this <laughs> stuff, and we we don't have time for it anymore. We'll do that so let's uh, get no
4: feedback in.
3: Yeah. So uh, there you go. There's some suggestions for you, Sam. And uh, uh, as I said, we'll try to get you together with. Uh, Texas Shock for some of the more obscure, smaller uh, museums and sites. Oh, okay. Well, I think uh, let's move on with a little bit more feedback. This is audio feedback from one of our new patrons on Patreon. His name is Rodrigo, and he says to me, before we play his feedback, uh, Hi, Jeff. Salutations to all the team. My name's Rodrigo. I've been an APG listener for the last four years or more. I try to keep up today with your show as much as I can. Great show, by the way. Just started supporting the show through patron, uh, Patreon, which makes me very happy. It makes us very happy as well. Uh, I would like to introduce myself. I'm a Venezuela ATPL. Started flying in the uh, the aught, uh on your beloved MD-80 Uh, mix with some DC-9 classic fleet back in Venezuela. After a few years, I decided to migrate to Asia, where I kept on flying the MD-80. There, I had the uh, magnificent opportunity to become captain on it, his first command. At this time, I would like to congratulate Dana on his command. Truly deserved. Going back to my story after a few years in Siam... I moved to the island of Formosa, Taiwan, where I flew the MD-11 as an FO. After five years in Asia, I decided to migrate to the Middle East, where I'm currently living and flying, joining Acme Maroon Airways as first officer on the 777, recently culminated my command training on the 777, enjoying the mixture of ultra-long-haul, let's see, ULR, SLR, So I I think is the U probably ultra-long-haul flying routes, maybe? I'm not sure what the R stands for. Ultra-long-range? Ultra-long-range, and then…
4: Standard-long-range or something?
3: Standard-long-range, maybe.
5: No, short long range.
3: No. That's <laughs> why <long laughs> I didn't range. say that. <laughs> I almost did. And I thought, well, that doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> uh, short and oh, freight flying. It's okay. A shit long range. So he's he doing it all. He's doing all the kind of Absolutely, flying out there he could yeah. possibly do. Uh, he says, I hope to meet you and the rest of the squad in uh, a future uh, or in the future on one of those meetups. Yeah. We, uh, we hope to. Start cranking up these annual uh, meetups that we used to do um, for for several years. Uh, maybe we'll maybe we'll start that again in twenty twenty four. what's that list? There
4: are some community members out in the Middle East. He might.
3: Yeah, we do with. have several community members out in the uh, Middle East. You guys should get together and have your own meetup. And um, well,
5: they have one. Yeah. I know they. Oh, they in did the East. One. Yeah. Oh. In Dubai, that. I think it was. Oh, okay. Well, very good. Anyway. Anyway. Um, By the way, uh, you sure he, um, Rodrigo didn't misspell uh, that last thing he did? It was not fright flying, as opposed to freight flying.
3: Oh yeah, maybe he meant fright flying. It is we're getting close fright. to. Uh, yeah, Halloween. we're getting
5: close. To, that's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking.
3: <laughs> but I think I think he spelled it correctly. Freight flying. Good now. Uh, you know, we should probably hear from him now, Liz. That's a good idea. Uh, so here we go. He uh, used uh, uh, what is it called? Uh, speak Pipe, uh, and you can use the same thing if you don't want to record something on your phone or computer or whatever and attach it to an email. You can go right to our uh, our website and uh, the contact us page and click on the thing for Speech Pipe not speech pipe speak pipe and i think you're limited to like 90 seconds yeah, if that, like I, that. i think that's right so he sent in three actually he sent us four recordings from speak pipe but one of them was kind of a duplicate. kind of a re, repeat or a duplicate so we're i think i got these sorted right uh correctly rodrigo so here we go here is uh part one
10: uh so it's rodrigo from the middle east originally from Venezuela I've uh, rejoined right now the cadre of the coffee fund well I did it through Patreon so I think it's none the non-traditional one but I wanted to say my I wanted to send my appreciation to all of you guys Liz for producing Jeff for keeping up the podcast and of course the rest of the crew you're always a welcome and lovely company especially in the long long trips around the Atlantic and the Pacific when you're uh, just struck in the bunk and wondering should i sleep or should i rest <laughs> what i'm gonna do with it so sometimes and i would say a lot of times i spend a lot of time with you guys and join your podcast so as always i wanted to send my word of appreciation and as such hope to actually meet you soon in one of your meetups i hope to be able to work around my schedule around one of those anyway Take care. Bye. Also, I wanted to add listening. Just I just finished listening to five eighty nine. You guys were talking about weather avoidance. Um, one of the things I've been doing in the last few years is line training here at the Maroon Operations, and um, we do talk about that quite often. It is an interesting topic, especially started my my career back home in, in the Caribbean in Venezuela, DC-9s and Venezuela, flying DC nines and MB 80s And the art of flying around weather in the intertropical zone is very, very different than when you are flying up states or you're even flying down under by Australia or even further down on the tip of Africa or far south as Argentina. And even understanding weather radar returns uh, the way that um, convective activity is reflected based on the type of humidity and the type of energy that you require to have that convective activity is quite interesting. I'm pretty sure that Rick has seen his fair share of uh, different kind of phenomena, but the, it's something that really requires a lot of experience. It's an art. It's not more than comes with only knowledge, but also the experience of knowing what are you looking at and what are you supposed to do around which kind of weather. Hey guys, final question. Have you heard about evidence based training, EVT? And if such, are you implementing those in the US? I don't know if they're doing it at ACME or ACMA Giant or any other operator based on uh, FAR 121 or 135. Uh, If you haven't heard about it, a quick presentation, a quick idea, what I'm talking about is that they've removed the traditional way of doing uh, cycle-based uh, simulator training. And now rounds up more, rather than repeating what used to be old systems, and we're going to deal with hydraulics, electrics this time. What they're trying to do is generate something more randomly. They do have a matrix, but uh, they work around typical and statistically relevant events that have been happening around the industry. So, of course, wouldn't be the the main subject, but now that we're looking at so many incursions, that could be an example of those. Well, if you have uh, heard about it, it would be nice to know. Otherwise, well, something to talk about. Take care.
3: Okay. Thank you, Rodrigo, for the great uh, audio feedback. And uh, hopefully we'll remember everything that you talked about and asked about in it. And uh, we'll start with what you just ended with the, um, evidence-based training. And I don't know if my company has actually used the actual term evidence-based training, but I think that they have incorporated that s- style, uh, into, uh, in the, um, training cycles that we have at Acme uh, every nine months um, one of those is the performance uh, related kind of uh, recurrent training where you you do your you know your uh, v1 cuts you know the engine failures on takeoff kind of thing or shortly after liftoff. Uh, or past V1. V1 cuts, I think we call them. <laughs> there, I got it. Uh, we do that kind of thing. All the, uh, like, you know, wind shear recovery uh, maneuvers and uh, that sort of thing. And then the other, the next cycle um, is line-oriented flight training, where I think they do a pretty good job of, like, culling some of the more recent incidents uh, that have occurred and they might see some trends uh, in, in a particular area. And then they try to tailor that particular cycle, uh, recurrent training cycle to, um, expose us to that sort of, uh, uh, situation. Uh, Nick, I, I, if you recall back, uh, way, way, way back, uh, when, when you were actively <laughs> flying, um, Uh, Uh, No, I've
5: I've managed to banish all my simulator uh, (laughs) episodes from my memory so that I don't have any trauma. I don't blame you. (laughs) Uh, My my psychologist recommended that. Um, Yeah, easier
3: to sleep at night. (laughs)
5: <laughs> yes, indeed. No, I, I can't say I've ever heard of that term. Uh, so, um, I mean, I, I know that um, we mixed in with our standard um, procedures that we were required to do on a regular basis. We mixed in current um favorites uh, items that were hot topics uh, things that are, that were occurring with uh, aircraft around the world or that we flew or similar so they they always had a, a, a view to keeping everything as current and as re- um, relevant as they could. But, uh, you know, there's only a limited amount of time you can spend in the simulator each year. And uh, as far as I was concerned, it was the least the better. But there you go. Yeah,
3: I agree. I agree. And um, as far as I know, unless something really weird happens, I am never, ever – Going to have to step <laughs> into one of those darn things ever again. At least uh, being evaluated or trained. I might be there just to have some fun, perhaps.
5: But uh, oh, that would be lovely. Yeah, yeah
3: but not. Uh, yeah, never again. I've had my last oh, simulator.
5: Training. Apparently, uh, Virgin Australia and Qantas uh, have adopted that. Hmm. There you go. Good. KFC mm. make uh, good
3: winglets. See. Uh, that's, that's from KFC. Make good winglets. <laughs> <laughs> apparently. <laughs> This person really loves winglets from KFC. And who doesn't really, honestly? Um, um,
4: just before you move on to the next topic, uh, yes, boxes has the explanation for ULR. It's ultra long rest.
3: Oh, the uh, boxes has the exc- explanation for ULR. It, it stands for ultra long rest. Now we know because that's what you do. <laughs> You do on your ULR, you listen to APG.
4: Yeah, Jeff puts you to Oh, that's sleep. another
3: potential show title right there. <laughs> Too many to count. Uh, thank you, Tanya. Yeah, I mean, that's. Uh, I, I'm so uh, happy that I'm never going to have to subject myself to that torture ever again in my life. Um, yeah, so, oh, the other thing uh, that he was talking about before on the second part, uh, he was talking about the uh, the weather Especially in the ITCZ, the intertropical convergence zone, one of my favorite places on Earth, not, um, where weather can be quite a challenge. And and he makes a very good point. I mean, there there are skills, you know, like technical skills you have to manipulate radar and that sort of thing, but there is a there is an art to it, uh, to understanding where you are, what the humidity levels are like, and you know, what the return looks like on your radar screen in the ITZZ might look very uh, harmless uh, if you associate it with what you're used to seeing in the in the northern or the southern hemispheres. But, uh, yeah, around the intertropical convergence zone, even a green return can sometimes be quite violent weather. So, um Definitely, you know it's good. It's great to have tech skills, but it's uh, also great to be able to have experience and wisdom, and and uh, just uh, you know be able to uh, you know utilize the art of weather avoidance. Anything else to comment on from Rodrigo? Or uh, no, great feedback. Thanks
5: very much indeed for uh, sending it in, and appreciate your contributions to the show.
3: And we look forward to hearing from you more in the future, Rodrigo. And again, I think we, did we talk about it in the last show? Um, I I think we did. Um, He was one of our um, uh, patrons that we uh, mentioned on the last show. And he said, let's see if you can pronounce my last name correctly. And we still don't have any audio feedback from Rodrigo, uh, whether Pacheco, Pacheco, but but what what was you you said? Uh, pachinko, pachinko. Well, that's definitely <laughs> not it.
5: It's <laughs> no, that Japanese gambling thing. <laughs> okay, uh,
3: help us, Rodrigo. Send in some audio so feedback and say your last name.
6: The Chiefs have a running back with a last name that is spelled like that. Oh, and he uh, he pronounces it Pacheco. Pacheco. I don't okay. know if that has any relevance at all here. But well, I mean, that's... one little data point. <laughs> <laughs> That's better
3: than what we have to work with for sure. So, okay, Pacheco, I like it. All right. Uh, oh, my goodness. Shall we, shall we tackle this one? Yeah, we have no, to. We have to. Uh, Glaucus uh, sends us some feedback. We haven't heard from him in a while. He says, Long time, no speak. Hope you are all well. Haven't been very present lately, lots happening in my world at the moment, but I miss you dearly and look forward to getting back into it. Thanks Glaucus, we miss you dearly as well. Here's a reminder of how stupid some people can be, even after scoring one of the best jobs in the world. And then there's a link here that he's given us. British Airways pilot Mike Beaton snorts cocaine off topless woman. And this is from news.com.au, Australia's leading news site. Uh, I find it nearly impossible to believe how someone can throw their life away so easily for such a futile reason. Well, this guy will have a lot to regret. Uh, I can see you are now inviting some dodgy Brazilians to the show. So where's my invite? <laughs> okay, Glaucus, start an aviation podcast and we'll we'll have you on the show. <laughs> um anyway, so I'm gonna I'm gonna seed the floor, uh, so to speak. That's C-E-D-E. Uh, to uh, Captain Nick, um, and uh, he can tell us about uh, this this article uh, and this uh, the situation with uh, British Airways pilot, uh, former British Airways pilot Mike Baton or Beaton.
5: Yeah, well, I'd be very surprised if uh, anyone hasn't uh, read the details of this. But uh, not only did this guy who had one of the finest flying jobs uh, for a civilian pilot in the UK, although of course there are other airways, but uh, British Airways has traditionally been uh, considered you a cut above the rest. Uh, So he managed to get a job uh, with BA, uh, and um, he was on long haul, he was on a flight down to South Africa, and he managed to get himself... uh, Um, in bad company, uh, and I'm not saying that. He was part of the bad company. Um, um, So he managed to uh, uh, get himself uh, with a young lady and uh, some people who had access to drugs, and he partook uh, in a perhaps novel way. Um, And not only did he do this, but he then... Uh, told one of his friends in the company who was a cabin crew uh, and hats off to her for um, revealing to the company that this chap might have a a problem because uh, uh, she quite rightly, and uh, I wouldn't hear ever hear of anyone criticising her, um, told the company that uh, they might want to look into this. He spilled the beans about the entire uh, sordid act that uh, he partook and the fact that he then went off to go flying whilst under the influence of the drugs he'd uh, taken. Um, and, you know, BA have a renowned... Recruitment system. Certainly, when I uh, was looking to join an airline, uh, I looked at the application form. It was about half an inch thick. Uh, You know, it includes unbelievable details about your life, your personality, you. uh, You've got to write essays. uh, You, the uh, recruitment procedure involves. Uh, leadership tests, uh, all sorts of hoops you have to jump through to get your job. Uh, So you do wonder about the value of such a difficult and complicated recruitment system when people who, uh, they don't weed out people who have the potential to do this sort of thing. But that's by the by. The fact is this guy had a glittering career ahead of him and he threw it down the toilet literally, uh, in doing this and then revealing it to a, a friend. And um, and then, of course, it all came out. Uh, and, uh, you know, he he's just wrecked uh, his life, I would say. Um, I don't know what his family think about it. That's between them. But uh, I certainly uh, think he'll probably never, ever work in the Uh, airline industry again yeah i'm just appalled i i mean obviously uh we sit from a a position of a moral high ground here because we were never caught no i'm only joking (laughs) um we we (laughs) we were always squeaky clean there are not everyone in the industry is because we you know all pilots we Um, come from all different backgrounds uh, and there are uh, bad apples amongst all the good ones Uh, sadly they get a lot more uh, attention so you know you always find out about them anyway uh probably uh, as far as i'm concerned the least said the better i've probably gone on way too long and uh, i just wanted to i just feel so uh annoyed, uh, angry at this uh, young man, not only for wrecking his own life, but also for being our uh, profession uh, down uh, several notches uh, in the public's estimation. Yep, This is not the way to do it, folks.
3: Oh, look at who has joined us. It is Dr. Steph. Hello, Steph.
11: Hi, Jeff. How are you? Good to see you.
3: I'm, I'm fine, miss thank you. I
11: everybody else, but I'm glad that you're still here. And Liz is still here.
3: Yeah, we're yeah. still here. And uh, let's see. Um, so let's find out from you, because you weren't here for the getting to know us segment. Mm-hmm. Um, why don't we find out from you uh, what you've been up to? Anything?
11: Uh, well, none, nothing really aviation related other than flying to and from my destination this past weekend, um, which was very uneventful and was very, very nice that it was uneventful because the weather was fantastic and didn't run afoul of any mechanical issues. So, um, no, this past weekend was the, first of all, I did want to say, like, I I really actually did enjoy, um, I listened to quite a bit of the show on my drive home tonight and um, caught the last little bit with you and Captain Nick and Nick Camacho, and then also uh, the whole segment with Miami Rick, and that was all good stuff. So, um, sorry, I'm just... More of the show but um that was that was fantastic so um so yeah about me um i was in chicago all weekend long um the chicago marathon took place this past sunday and this was actually the 10th year almost consecutively that i've run the chicago marathon i say almost it needs a little asterisk in there because they didn't run an in-person marathon in 2020 which i would have run had it occurred i did not i chose not to do the their virtual option um so I don't know if that counts against me, but 10th consecutive Chicago Marathon for all intents and purposes, I would say, so. Wow, What um, an accomplishment. Yeah, two weeks from the day from Berlin. So I ran in Berlin as well. Um, I think I've talked to you guys since then though. I'm pretty sure I did. I think so. I was on the show, yeah. So I forget what the day was for Berlin, but basically two Sundays before. And um, I felt great in Berlin. Um, Chicago was a little more challenging, even though the weather was better, just sometimes um, nothing's promised to you on marathon day. So all kinds of things can happen. It's kind of like listening to those guys, you know, the FedEx guys, you never know what's going to happen just around the corner there with things compounding and multiplying, but um, had a little bit of a rough patch, mile 18, 19, 20, but got past that and rallied and for the most part felt really good throughout and Chicago is such a great course, I, I love that. I mean, it's my hometown and um, I feel like it's my marathon to some extent. So um, really good day, two minutes slower than in Berlin. So I'll, I'll take that two weeks apart, that's, that's fantastic. And um, I think Liz is showing a couple of my, uh, the pictures turned out really good and I actually have a few more too that I need to go download. Um, so in Berlin, I had a fantastic race, terrible pictures. Chicago, not as good of a race, Best pictures. So, <laughs> um, it was also the, um, for those who are familiar with the uh, World Marathon Major Series, which is probably not very many people listening to an aviation podcast, but, um, there's a related but not the same event called the um, World Age Group Championships that occurs and has been, uh, this was, I think, the third time they've run it. Um, the first time around, um so it's it's for age groupers, but really masters age groupers, so anyone forty and up. The first time it happened was in London uh in 21, and I was not forty. Um so I didn't participate then. But I somehow lucked out with an invitation this year. I think what happens is you can you can time qualify, which I'm definitely not a fast enough runner to time qualify for the championships, but then they also take a certain number of people who have run a lot of marathons in the preceding year and have a um, <laughs> Liz is controlling the, the I don't video know what here.
3: I <laughs> <laughs> who have, hey, um, staff, get them together. <laughs>
11: <laughs> I don't need a close up of me, it's fine, just show me and Jeff together. Um, so the, uh, <laughs> the 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 way that kind of works, it's kind of this algorithm where if you've run Quite a few marathons in the previous year. You can, uh, if you're fast enough, you can accrue these points, and there's a ranking system. And who knows how it really works out. But um, I think they start sending out invites to this world uh, championship race um, at some point, and then based on how many people accept the invitation, um, it kind of moves down the list. So I, I think I was perhaps a little farther down the list of invitees. But either way, I'm very honored to have. Uh, nah, you were right at the top. <laughs> Definitely was not. <laughs> Very honored to have been invited and be a part of it. And um, uh, that was cool because you get a little bit, you get treated a little bit um, like a, a VIP at the event. You get a, there's a special tent that you can go into in the morning and, Catering and uh, they're like extra toilets. There weren't. It was still just the same mobbed like porta potty lines as anywhere else. But um, mm. spe- uh, separate gear checks so that when you finish the race, your gear is just right there, kind of waiting for you. Um, and a Heated nice big, toilet fancy, seats, I'm sure.
3: Right? N- yeah,
11: porta potties. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was 45 degrees outside, <laughs> mm. um, which uh, the weather was perfect for for racing. So, yeah. Um, and and you know a nice uh, commemorative medal. Big specialist medal there. So I've got, I'm showing them in the picture, but I've got them here too.
3: Nice. Oh, and, just to prove oh, that they really are real and you got to keep them.
11: They let me keep them. And nice. my one from Berlin. Wow. And I ran the 5K on Saturday too, but not just as a shakeout. Wow. All kinds of running. You're um, an animal. But the, the, the best part of it was that um, I was there with family and got to see um, my brothers and my brothers both ran the the marathon and did, um, I think everyone did as well as they hope to have done for the amount of training that they put into it for the year. We will say that, <laughs> <Okay>. um, <laughs> no, nice one, no one was expecting, no one was expecting personal best times. I think we were all busy and a lot of stuff going on. Um, everyone was just happy to, to finish and enjoy the day. Um, how do you explain all that metal to TSA? You know what? They don't care. Actually, you know what? You wear it on uh, – so especially on Monday, you continue wearing your medals the Monday after a, a Sunday marathon for Medal Monday, hashtag Medal Monday. And, um, yeah. TSA See what care. you learn
3: by listening to the <laughs> APG.
11: Um, what else? Uh, I, a lot of folks um, messaged me about wanting to get together in Chicago, and um, I really spent a lot of time with family Um so my apologies to, uh, I know in particular, uh, Pasadena Brian was there and he actually, I have to message him back. He was, uh, he caught me on the course um, with like 400 meters to go and sent me video of me running. So that was, that was awesome. I didn't get a chance to see him though. I went back out to, um, cheer on my brothers as they finished their races. So I was out on the course for, um, quite a while longer and didn't make it to the, the post race party until the very end. And, um, uh, what else? I think that's most of it for, for Chicago. Um, I got a haircut while I was there. This time haircut. Thanks. Something different. Yeah. Um, and what else? Um, I think that's it. There was a little bit of feedback related to the Berlin marathon. If you wanted to get into that real quick.
3: Can I, uh, before we do that, oh, can oh, I yeah. quickly, mm-hmm. uh, do a little, um, getting to know a segment from, from Rick? Oh yeah, Sure. And then we'll go to the feedback, and then we'll finish up.
11: Okay.
3: I know it's maybe a little bit of out of work. You know, we can, no, let's, we can do the feedback. Let's do
11: the, we'll do the feedback, and then Rick, and yeah, then I think that'll okay. make more sense, because otherwise let's, it's kind of. Okay. Because this feedback is related to running. Yeah, okay. And not aviation.
3: I think that uh, that's what we should do then. And uh, so I'll go ahead and let you uh, go do you for it. you want me to read it? Yeah.
11: Okay. So this is from Murillo. Uh, Barbosa. He says, hey, how are you guys? Long time. I uh, don't say anything here, but never miss a single show. We appreciate that. It's Marilo, uh Barbosa. Sorry for not pronouncing your name probably correctly. From Marietta. Quick feedback. I went to see my parents in Berlin. They live in Brazil and were in Berlin for vacations. And when I got there, I saw all the marathon stuff set up. Didn't know it was happening that weekend. First thing in my mind was Dr. Steph is going to be here. So I went to Twitter or X or whatever it's called now. And saw nothing on her feed, but still went to the end line where the meetup uh, name letters were, but no luck. And now, listening to APG 587, I heard that she was there, lost my chance to meet her. Maybe next time. Love you guys. Keep up the good work. Marilo Barbosa. Well, I'm, I'm sorry. I feel sad about that very <laughs> well. Um, I kind of. So, I, I'm just going to preface all of this with my excuses first, and that it's been a. It's been a busy summer and I've had a lot of stuff going on family and work-wise and a lot of other things. And, um, um, the more I've done, uh, running wise and marathon wise, the more my running community has grown as well. So when I get to these big races, there's a lot going on with my teammates who, who I share a coach with, um, with, um, just friends that I I know from having done the same races over and over again. It kind of tends to draw the same people, and we have our own um, little community of things going on. So there tends to be a lot of stuff happening um, aside from uh, other other meetups and things. Um, and truthfully, I was I was happy just to have kind of a very quiet getaway um, without a lot on my on my schedule. Um, so I'm sorry I didn't announce any any big meetups for either Berlin or Chicago or anything like that, but um, you know, I'm feeling a little re-energized. Back to my kind of usual self, not so crazy. Hopefully, over the next couple months, work-wise and running and, and all the things. So, um, hey, if you're in if you're in Marietta, we're not that far away. There'll be a chance for a meet-up here at some point. I'm sure it won't be as interesting or exotic as Berlin, perhaps, but we need to have maybe more Atlanta than just me
3: a meetup up uh, sometime yeah. in the new year, and we can maybe combine that with my retirement uh, party as well. So there you go. Probably get to meet Murillo uh, what's the, what's then. The
4: big, what's the biggest stadium in Atlanta that we can rent?
3: There? What's the, biggest, the stadium biggest stadium in Atlanta? Mercedes Benz. Yeah, the Mercedes Benz, and yeah. that'll be perfect because I'll be starting my Mercedes Benz uh, powered uh, our, uh, RV uh, life sometime soon. That hopefully, hold everybody, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, that should uh, we should be able to squeeze everybody in into that big stadium. Uh, yeah. Uh, so what is what does he mean by meetup name letters? Oh,
11: so at the end of a marathon for, like, runner reunite with family, because these races have 45 50,000 people in them, Yeah, oftentimes in the uh, Berlin and Chicago both have uh, have finish areas in big parks. Um, it's Tiergarten um, in Berlin, and it's Grant Park in Chicago, and they take over a lot of the space, and in those areas, they put up these big um, uh, either signs, or they almost kind of look like, you know, the used car lot, like, blow up, like, things Um and they just put letters on them, so like A to C, F to G, you know. Like, and, and then if it's your your last name is one of those letters, it's an easy way for your family to find you afterwards. Uh, so you just go to the go to that area and meet up with people. And I'm I'm sorry that in Berlin I didn't meet up with I was anybody. Say, did you do after, that? No. I, <laughs> so it, what happens in Berlin is you have to return your timing chip, which is antiquated and. Quaint, perhaps, but it makes you squat down so you have to untie your shoe and take this oh. timing chip off of your shoelace at the end of. Now, where do you
3: put that darn timing chip? <laughs> <laughs> it's more just about Why your
11: you quads. Your, your legs don't appreciate the the flexibility required to do that after twenty six point two miles. Um, you have to return the timing chip and then all I did was click my poncho and I, I left because actually in Berlin I had family running there as well. So I went back out on the course to cheer on my aunt who is um seventy five or seventy-six years old. She was she was still running, so um I wanted to get back out there to see her. But I went went back to the hotel and showered first and then went back out on the course. That was good.
2: <laughs> so good I kinda everybody. I
11: kinda booked it. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, no, people <laughs> would not want to be next to me on the train and I was using the train to get around. So
3: uh-huh. yeah. Mm-hmm.
11: Cool. Uh, yeah, it's good stuff. So, yeah, maybe next time for sure. There'll be it next time.
3: All right. Very good. And then um, let's see. I have two of these videos up and they look identical. So, I'm going to try to pick the correct one to hear what.
4: Oh, you know what? We've got a 50% chance of We have a
3: right. 50% chance. There we go. 50% <laughs> guarantee. Okay, here we go. I think it's going to be this one right here. This is what, what have you been up to there, uh, Rick?
1: well yeah everything good work at the house is progressing uh left for work on the third went up to anchorage and then i flew uh a dash shade from Anchorage down to cincinnati spent the night in cincinnati and then the following day i was supposed to go down to charleston to pick up a drink lifter a new one out and back to uh wichita um, um and then uh, that 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 didn't happen sadly i was looking forward to flying that thing uh, so now I am in New York. I'm going. Uh, I'm flying the ultra long haul flight from uh, New York Kennedy Airport to Dover Air Force Base down in uh, Delaware.
3: <laughs> yeah, we're talking <laughs> my kind of stage length out right there.
1: Exactly. So I, <laughs> uh, I, uh, I'm not even going to try. I'm not even going to put my Hawaiian shirt on for that because there's just no <laughs> no point. So yeah. we'll we'll head down to uh, head down to Dover tonight. Uh, and then uh, immediately after that limit of Philly, then I go to Houston, and then from Houston, I pick up the rest of my pattern. Um, I'm flying uh, a passenger jet, and this is gonna be fun because um, Captain Nick would like this. It's an old, uh, a former uh, Virgin Atlantic 74400. so I'm flying that from Charleston, from uh, Houston to Charleston, picking up troops in Charleston, and then taking a full 74400 from Charleston to uh, Germany. Uh, Staying there for two days, and then coming back uh, down to Baltimore, and then from there, I end up back here in New York to fly down to Barksdale and then on to Elmendorf, and then I'm done. So, um, wow, staying busy.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a lot of flying, a lot of flying, a lot of flying, indeed. All right. right. Well, we're, we're glad that we could, uh, tap into your expertise and, uh, experience on the Boeing. And, uh, again, as we always say, this is all speculation on our part, but uh, uh, we'll be interested to see exactly what happened in both of these situations. And uh, so happy to have you on our crew, Rick. And it's always uh, always great to uh, to see you.
1: It's a distinct honor. Thank you, guys, and great great to see you all again.
3: Bye. All right, that is it for uh, getting all caught up with. <laughs> Miami Rick. And uh, so this is like, this is a cool uh, occasion on the show. Maybe not all of us together all at the same time, but you got all the APG crew uh, on board uh, flight 589. And uh, so um, thank you, Steph, for for showing up and getting us caught up with what you've Uh, been doing. Obviously, Obviously, very, very busy person. And, uh, but we look forward to having you on uh, next week's show and um, we need to, yeah, fingers crossed. You never know. <laughs> I mean, heck, I might get hit by a bus after we finish don't, the recording don't today. do get hit so by a bus. Who well, I don't know. Maybe I should An stay bus? out of the road. An Airbus. <laughs> an Airbus? Yeah. I hope it's not an Airbus. Then, then that's that's it. I have a chance with one of the MARTA buses, maybe. I don't know. Anyway, uh check out our website, airlinepilotguide.com. You'll find all kinds of information there, including info about the crew and the community and merchandise and uh, what else? We have um
11: uh, the library uh, and library. the calendar and that the, too. Yes. Know
3: all things. that. <laughs> and you can also look on the screen right now and probably in the uh, chapter image of your podcast player, you see a uh, QR code and if you just shoot your phone at it or whatever device has a QR code reader, uh, that should uh, open up your email program and force you to write some uh, email to us, some feedback, uh, feedback at airlinepilotguy.com. So check that out and we are also uh, not on all the different social media stuff out there because we just can't keep up with all There's that. There's
11: so many anymore, no. but we're on the You're OGs, not. Uh, not not MySpace. Don't go to MySpace. We're on the aug. the AUG. The uh, AUG. We are on <laughs> Facebook, facebook.com slash airlinepilotguy. Um, formerly known as Twitter, now X. We're at APG Crew and individual Twitter handles pinned to the top of that page. Um, you can find Captain Nick's wonderful show artwork on Instagram. We're APG crew there as well. And for those who want to be in depth with the community, uh, all things APG 24 seven, I would refer you to Slack. And I think hopefully Hillel has also made it to the show tonight. I
3: think so. Let's see if we can find out about the Slackers um, on Slack and the head Slacker is this guy. Hey, hello. Hello, uh, Slack. Okay, but I'm dripping wet. Oh, that's all right. We all we know you're gonna be dripping wet. Okay, come on over here. Uh, thankfully, he has his towel on. I mean, his uh, his robe on. Come on over here and tell us all about Slack.
6: APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at Slack at AirlinePilotGuy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at AirlinePilotGuy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack.
3: Thank you very much, Hillel, for that. And uh, Jeff, would what?
1: you loop on my back again?
3: Yeah, here. Let me. Uh, let me. Here. Turn around. Again. There you go. All right. You like that?
6: Oh yeah. Right there. Just like that.
3: All right. <laughs> <laughs>
4: it's a
11: disturbingly aggressive loofah. I'm not sure I want to
3: know. <laughs> he deserves that aggressive loofing. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Sometimes I like to have fun with the sound effects. Um. Let's see what else. Oh, well, Liz, pop yourself into the. In, there we go. There she is, uh, having a little technical difficulty with the with the the uh, interface today. We're gonna, gonna have we're going to blah, blah, blah. we are going to resolve that situation uh, shortly between shows, and uh, so we want to thank Liz for all of the hard work that she does. I don't know why I can't find the applause. And uh, oh, I hear the applause. There it is. <laughs> Thank you. Yay. Sad applause from just one
11: person, but
3: that was it was. But it was appreciate awesome appreciated applause. applause. Uh, it's, it's not the quantity, but who it's coming from. I think so it's quality of the applause. There we go. And uh, so, thanks, Liz, for everything that you do before the show, after the show, and while we're recording it. It's a lot of good stuff there, and. Finally, we'd like to also thank our uh, live audience in our chat room. Uh, thank you, uh, ladies and gents, for being here each and every week and really providing a lot of info for us and entertainment as well. All right. And uh, finally, we'd just like to say, uh, wishing you clear skies, unlimited visibility, talons, Douglas.
4: Cheers, you Yeah, he's up in the sky. Till I started APG. I opened doors for little old ladies. I helped them to their seats.
7: Airline pilot guy. I fly a metal. Airline pilot guy. He can't land in heavy fall.
4: I got no friends cause I'm always flying. I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline pilot guy
7: I'm a flyer Airline pilot guy